Farmers and Distillers Dining Room and Patio are now open and accepting reservations. They're following all the government guidelines so you can choose to dine out safely or if you want to stay in, they've got you covered. You can order for curbside pickup or delivery online at FarmersAndDistillers.com. They're also still offering a robust one-stop shop founding farmers market and grocery for all your daily grocery needs. Offerings include fresh produce, a prepared foods market, full bakery, butcher and deli, house-churned ice cream, house-roasted coffee, wine, beer and more. Visit FoundingFarmersMarket.com to order. Same-day delivery available. Hey, it's Gary and Shannon. You're about to embark on yet another great adventure with the Gary and Shannon Show. A reminder, we want you to make sure that you look at the iHeart app and hit the also share it on Facebook, Twitter, wherever you have that opportunity and tell a friend about what you're listening to when you listen to the Gary and Shannon Show. If I can't make this work, then I'm going to have to get a real The one with the job. You're the one who lies around the house all day in a pool of your own slobber. Gary Hoffman. He drug a stink in here so bad the livestock wouldn't stay. Shannon Farron. She is washed up. You understand me? She's finished. She's a troublemaker. She's on my... Gary and Shannon. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> These are so loud. Oh, are my they? gosh. Woo. Got to make sure I back that off a little bit. Hey, what's going on? This is a huge deal. I mean, anybody who owns a professional sports team just got that much richer. Uh, it is going to be an interesting adventure i think state about that at the bottom of this hour next hour we are talking with a knowledge volcanologist 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 studies vulcans although i prefer to call him a volcanoologist <laughs> i won't do that when he's on the program he is yes. a doctor oh and a good but the plan is for uh, rebecca jarvis to join us in studio in the one o'clock hour today. I love it when we have the guests. First time. This is we've been we've been talking with Rebecca almost since the beginning of this show. And we've never met her in real life. Never. So it'll be fun. I, I, I think I should let everybody know what happened I in the office so this too. morning before we jump into Jerusalem here. Michelle said we're having Rebecca Jarvis in studio. And Gary legitimately jumped out of his seat a little bit. What? That outfit, if you knew. Wait a minute. What's wrong with this outfit? It's fine, but it's not your, like, best outfit. And if you knew Rebecca was coming in, you'd wear your best outfit. I think this is a fine outfit. It is a fine outfit. My favorite part of that is when he said, why wasn't I informed yesterday about this? Right, like he needed to be. Agreement in every way that we can. We believe that it is possible for both sides to gain more than they give so that all people can live in peace safe from danger, free from fear, and able to pursue their dreams. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu hit the tape. My friends, this is a great day for Israel partnership. And then one more, uh, the U.S. ambassador to Israel, David Friedman. Uh, ...to the vision, the courage, and the moral clarity of one person to whom we owe an enormous and eternal debt of gratitude, President Donald J. Trump. 
that he made on the campaign trail. Uh, this is a I don't know if you could say that this is a move 50 years in the making, six, 70 years in the making. Sorry, but it is something that has been looked forward to by uh, Israeli officials for a very long time. The bad part of this is about 60 miles of well during these mass protests along the border. This and- is the bloodiest day, they're saying, in this area since the 2014 war with Israel kind of kicked. Wounded. Yeah, there, well, there were 35,000 Palestinians gathered. Well, about that, where did we leave Jared Kushner? The last time we, we left him, he had gotten his security clearance. Uh, revoked, yeah. Revoked? Yeah. So, and now I mean, he's speaking for all of the United States. Well, he and... It's a and, hell of a rebound. That's like Tinsley from The Real Housewives making his re-coming out party. It is so exactly what I was going to say. It's I know. It's just like Tinsley. Um, the president took office. He was involved in and was going to be assigned the point man in the negotiations between uh, Israel and whatever other entities are out there to try to broker some sort of Mideast peace. This doesn't look anything like it. With 52 people killed, you know, thousands others that were injured. The question, they will also be moving their uh, embassies to Jerusalem. I think Guatemala is one of them. Uh, Paraguay, I think, is the other one who said they're going to do that. And this may be incremental, but it is a gigantic move for the Middle East, for the United States to put the embassy in Jerusalem. Um, the president did not, uh, what obviously wasn't there, but he did address in a video uh, he addressed the uh, growing crowd that had uh, shown up. I think there was a couple hundred people. Really not the size or the security setup of the other embassy, the one that was in. Changed the wording on the outside. But other than that, it's still going to be a diplomatic. Yeah, and I don't outfit. know half how much of it was Hamas just using the demonstrations as a, a cover or an excuse. They're talking about Hamas is saying they're looking at a border that happened. And yeah. if they try to do that, you're talking Probably hundreds of people who will be killed. The Israeli military doubled the amount of forces in, in those locations. They've they have a second line of defense, a third line of defense of troops set up. Reservists have been called in. So, yeah, that's uh, a no go. If you um, it's, uh, eight o'clock at night, so this may potentially heat up overnight. Uh, people try to use the cover of night to get in uh, across the border. That's not going to work. Um, Israel has the uh, highest level of military technology, night vision, all of that sort of thing. This is they'll never get in. The Arab League has called the or has called a crisis meeting to talk about what they're calling an illegal U.S. embassy shift. Eh, I don't understand who how, the Palestinian people. Interesting. All right. Well, then I'm not sure. Why, is this a things are going to get worse before people. they get better thing? Or is this just uh, adding a lighter f- quick flame out? I mean, the once, you know, once the uh, the original anger is over, we'll get rid of this and we'll see people kind of calm down and go back to their, you know, horrible lives there in Gaza. But um, I don't know. I, I hope it doesn't get any worse because you're talking hundreds, if not thousands of people who will be killed. If it gets worse. Well, we are just ahead of Ramadan, the holy month. And we saw over the weekend and into today uh, just a wave of deadly bombings in Indonesia. We'll talk about that when we come back. And we have $1,000 we're going to give away. We'll tell you how you can win that. Gary and Shannon will continue. Gary and Shannon with your chance at $1,000. 
your shot at $1,000 now. Text the keyword LUCK to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus I heard it. They will notify the winner by phone, but you got to answer, even if it's from a number you don't recognize. Uh, don't forget, we have another chance one hour from now to win $1,000. In fact, every hour from 5 in the morning with Jonesy and Wake Up Call all the way through the first hour of the Conway Show, we give away $1,000 an hour. Coming up next, the massive Supreme Court decision that is going to affect all sports in America. It's going to change the way things are done. No longer will you have to go to a sport. States have uh, the infrastructure in place and the desire to get gambling going. Um, This is a 25-year-old federal law that was struck down today. We'll get into all the particulars and what it could mean for sports coming up next. A wave of deadly bombings yesterday and today in Jakarta throughout Indonesia have uh, shaken a lot of people. We're about to start the holy month of Ramadan, and now we have entire incredibly disturbing advancement of what is a, ro- a normal suicide attack. There have been th- at least three bomb attacks, car bomb, suicide vest, and a motorcycle-borne bomb. And I want to talk about that motorcycle one because that one is particularly gruesome. There was a family of five riding two separate motorcycles that detonated a bomb at the entrance of the police headquarters in Surabaya. All of them were killed except... The eight-year-old girl who was on one of those motorcycles. Imagine that. This kid, four police officers were injured. All of the attackers were killed. It's particularly. Whether they mean it or not. I mean, there's no way. The kids probably have no idea what the and 13 terrorist suspects killed in the two days of violence. At least 46 people. To kill one person and injured four others was a French citizen who was born in Chechnya back in 1997. Kamzat. It doesn't matter. Shot dead by police responding to the stabbing in central Paris at about 9 o'clock on Saturday evening. He was heard shouting, Alu Akbar, prior to the stabbing. ISIS later friend all being questioned by French police trying to figure out if this guy had tentacles and how far they go. Who did he know? Who was he working with, if anyone? Uh, But this is important because if this guy is, in fact, a, uh, would you say, the soldier of the caliphate or whatever stupid language they used for this, um, and it is connected to what was going on in Indonesia because they're saying at least one of the attackers in the, the motorcycle bomb where they blew up the uh, into almost the entire family and tried to take down the, the police department headquarters there, one of those guys had retur- recently returned to Indonesia after having been deported from Syria, the assumption being he was there to fight on behalf of ISIS. And then got captured, processed, and sent back to Indonesia. I'm surprised they wouldn't have put him in prison, but that's uh, that's the way they do things, I guess, in Syria. A French judicial source confirmed with ABC that the uh, the the stabber in Paris was on there. Going had no, out. he had no arrest record, though. No, no arrest record, but that's they just thought he was up to no good. He's hanging around with the wrong people. I mean, how broad are these lists? When That's we talk question, about the list of, that the FBI has, I mean, how many people on the, the first responders, everybody who was there, in addition to uh, the person who died after having been stabbed, two others were seriously injured. They had to be transferred uh, to a hospital, two other victim situations. Paris, uh, we said this before, and I want to say it was after one of the uh, one of the other attacks, one of the other knife attacks in Paris. Would you rather go to Paris or Paris? 
I mean, where are you going to spend your vacation? Is this? I, it doesn't. You know, last year I booked a trip to Paris um, because the airfare was so good. It right. was like booking a trip to Florida because of the terrorism that's going on. Of I don't want these people to think that they're stopping our vacation because they're. Uh, that's what they want. True. They, they want you to to stop. They want to win. They want to take over. Um. All right. Imagine this, Gary Hoffman. Yes, I'm ready. You are a kicker for the Los Angeles Rams, let's say. Uh, I've got a quarter million on this prop bet that uh, Gary Hoffman, kicker for the Los Angeles Rams, will miss the first field goal in the game against the 49ers this Sunday. I'll give you uh, 400 grand if you miss that field goal. That's what we're talking about. When we're talking about that's opening up the betting. I never thought about that. Yeah. The, uh, specifically, well, we'll get into it coming up next because the Supreme Court now has essentially made gambling pretty much legal in the United States, leaving it up to the states to determine what their rules will be. But one of the problems is the integrity of the game and how that will affect it. And you you better believe people are going to be coming up to players in dark alleys offering them money to change the outcome of the game or just to change things like just shave a point or two or three here or there. Right. Interesting. All right. We'll talk all about that when we come back to the Gary Janet show. Please don't Get ready for these words to come to a strip mall near you. Sports book. It'll be Starbucks, McDonald's, Sportsbook. This is a multi-billion dollar industry that has been operating forever, but it's been underground, right? It's kind of like legalizing recreational pot in California. You used to have to call a dealer, go through the the funky medical marijuana thing, and then suddenly these places are going to be anywhere. It's going to be very much in your face. This is kind of the same thing with betting. People have been making bets on NFL games and the like through, you know, their bookies or, you know, a shady uh, website or whatever. But now it's going to be very much in your face. Yeah, $150 billion estimated illegal rate wagers on sports every year just in America. It was a 6-3 to three decision at the Supreme Court uh, that overruled the Third Circuit Court of Appeals saying that this federal law violates the state's 10th Amendment rights, the state in this case being New Jersey. New Jersey's been trying to get into this for Atlantic City and the like uh, for a very long time, with Chris Christie actually leading the the initial charge there. Uh, He was named in the original case, Chris Christie versus the NCAA, and then Christie's name was reported uh, or replaced by the state's new governor, uh, Phil Murphy. But anyway... Uh, Alito wrote the majority opinion saying Congress can regulate sports gambling directly, but if it elects not to do so, each each state is free to act on its own. It seems like within five years, at least 32 states will have sports books in operation. Yeah, New Jersey, you mentioned New Jersey is the one that's probably going to tomorrow. By tomorrow, New yeah. Jersey is going to yeah, legalize exactly. sports betting because exactly. they wanted to. Delaware, Mississippi, New York, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, all areas that also have uh, burgeoning casino industries, they are going to be next on the di- uh, next on the docket. And then possibly, you know, California could could get into this. So imagine this. You uh, you go to the, the Lakers game, right? You get your seat, pull up your phone and decide, oh, let's let's make a bet here. Uh, first team to 50 points. I'll bet on the Lakers. I 
You, and you place that bet right on your phone. Okay, you're at USC, and you're getting ready to see USC play Notre Dame. And you're at a tailgate, and you're having a, a bratwurst. And like, you know what? I'm going to make a bet on this game. And you walk uh, 50 yards to the sports book right across the, right across, uh, right across the street there from the collie. I don't and know. And you make if, your bet. I don't know if this is going to work. I, I would have met. Now, listen, the, the leagues were the ones fighting against this. The NCAA, NFL, NHL, Major League Baseball, they've all been fighting against this. And I'm not certain why, except, I mean, the, they are concerned about the integrity of their game. They're concerned that this leads to potential corruption. Like you were talking about the scenario you were talking about where they meet some guy in a dark alley and say, right. hey, uh, put a couple of balls to the backstop we, or kick one left or we something. We all know the story of the Chicago Black Sox, the 1919 World Series. If you haven't seen the John Cusack movie, it's a great watch. So what happened were the White Sox were not making any money. Now, this is back when players, you know, they had to have real jobs when right. they weren't playing ball. And the team was making a bunch of money, right? The league was making a bunch of money. These guys weren't making any money, so they screw it. And they threw the series. That's not that different from the way the players think today. You know, you've got the league making so much money. You've got the owners making so much money, right? And especially in the world of NCAA, that's a big fight right now with with the players realizing that they're essentially being used they're being used to sell all I think college sports makes a tremendous amount of money, but those players don't see any of it. Is that fair to them? I mean, they are amateur athletes. They are in, in college. It should be, oh, well, you're there for the education, but everyone knows that's not that's really not reality. The, that's not the real world. No. You know, and I've always been in favor. I think Petros's idea down the hall is a good one to, to set aside X amount of dollars for these kids. And then they get it when they graduate, you know, $50,000 or whatever it is. And then they get that money, uh, when they graduate, it's going to be difficult with prop bets, though, the scenario I was laying out. And they're, they're going to probably have to create some sort of regulations around prop bets because prop bets don't really affect the outcome of the game. Yeah, prop know? bets are just the side side things like yeah, who scores first? Yeah. Will it be a touchdown or a field goal first? Um Will there be a home run in this game? I mean, all of those things that don't go into just the final. It score. could even be silly things. What color socks will right. Philip Rivers wear today? What color uh, sweatshirt does Bill Belichick wear? But here's when it gets into problems. Who commits the first foul of the game? If I'm on special teams and I'm paid off, to, and I'm I, this is just hypothetical. Right. There could be a player who's on special teams who is approached by a a dark underlord gambling guy and says, hey, (laughs) I've put a hell of a lot of money on you making the first foul of the game. You do that on the first kickoff, and I'll uh, I'll kick you some cash. Nobody will ever be the wiser. Well, I wonder how this works because, I mean, we're we're talking about scenarios that would have to be excluded from betting, right? These would have to be things that you could not bet on. Right. Um, and I don't know how they do it in places like Canada and the UK where you where legalized gambling is uh, yeah. is a, a thing. You can you could gamble on every soccer match that they have. But I don't know if they do prop bets like who's going to get the first yellow card or will there be a yellow card or something, you know, just something bizarre like that. They'd have to carve out exemptions for prop bets uh that are individualized, like is that guy yeah. going to score? Is that guy going to be penalized or something? Right. Um, and I almost think you'd have to have some sort of a geocaching. Your scenario of walking into Staples Center and being able to place a bet on a game that you're physically at makes me uncomfortable. Only because 
the, the infinitesimal possibility that you as a spectator somehow have an impact on the outcome of that game outside of just, you know, home court advantage kind of stuff. You throw yourself onto the Some, hardwood something. to prevent someone from getting a triple-double? Yes, something. <laughs> I mean, that that you would be, you would have to be able to prevent people from betting in the arena itself. But it's already happening. People bet on the games they go to all the time. This would just now be out in the open. It would be weird. I, I'm I'm curious to see how this thing does does pan out because there are too many possibilities. There's... There's it's going to be much... a race to make the money. It's going to be like it's going to be like the pot situation in California. I mean, it's going to be whoever can uh, can get out there and open up. Well, we'll have we'll have to see what happens with the legislation in the states. Yeah, I don't think Congress would would do anything. I wonder how Too long many people are going to make money off this. I wonder how long it takes for uh, it to be like European soccer when when you're watching the billboards around it. It's for gambling. Companies. Oh, that'll happen right away. You know, I, I, that's funny you bring that up because I was just thinking about, you know, Dodger Stadium looking out at the field and one of the foul poles just being brought to you by uh, LASportsbook.com or whatever. I mean, that, that's, that's like Blake said, that's what happens in Europe already. Or when they make it on jerseys because they're oh, on they, jerseys. Yeah, they, yeah. you can put LASportsbook.com on, on Yasiel Puig's. And there are the problem sure. I think you're also going to see is individual sports that are easier to make. Um, those bets on that could potentially change the outcome of the game. If you have, uh, I don't know, if you have the spread in football, for example, and, you know, field goal kickers are so important when it comes to just down the one, two, three point spreads in those games that, you know, your team could be ahead. You just happen to shank that last field goal and your team wins by six instead of by nine. Now, that can mean millions of dollars. Now, I would hope there would be some self-policing for teams, you know. Well, and I think that's why we saw such ridiculously strict rules when it – ridiculous isn't the right word. We saw such strict rules with leagues in the 70s, 80s, 90s. I mean, when Pete Rose got caught up into this, Pete yeah. Rose the only guy to bet on baseball? No. But the guy who got caught because and he, was he wasn't doing it for so betting long. on his own team, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. just not you know, just like to keep talking to you, Pete. All right. But this is going to be a fun. Uh, this is going to be an interesting thing to see as it kind of fleshes itself out and we figure out how these states are going to do it. And I think you're right. How the players are going to be impacted by this. My dad used to make his bets through a shady barber. A barber. Yeah. They were going to the barber. It had nothing to do with getting his hair cut. He would just go with envelopes of cash. There was also a guy he used to make bets with that ran like a five and dime on a corner in San Francisco. Oh, that's cool. Go in there, and I, I just remember, oh, yay, we get to go get a soda or a donut or something. And he, we weren't there for a soda or donut. We were there to exchange envelopes of cash. <laughs> Gary and Shannon will continue. We have terror in the skies when we come back. That, ladies, stinks. Shannon. Michelle wants to ban children from all restaurants. <laughs> I, I am not. <laughs> I am not opposed to that. That's... After what happened this weekend, absolutely. Oh. We'll get into it coming up after Amy's news at the top of the hour because it's uh, it's something being talked about. Maybe having a restaurant no kids zone. Uh, some of the big stories that we're keeping an eye on: the U.S. has opened the embassy in Jerusalem today in a big ceremony, but the Palestinian protests are also a big story. At least. 52 people killed, 1,200 injured uh, in the protests there along the Gaza border. Also, 
The Golden State Killer suspect was in court today and not in his wheelchair for the first time. He was walking around. So they they argued about uh, search warrants and stuff, just kind of some of the legal stuff that goes on. And actress Margot Kidder died at the age of 69. Uh, She had had a rough go of it the last few years. A bipolar disorder. I think she was homeless for a time. So there was a jungle gym incident. Some yes, in the backyard. Yeah. All right. Uh, I got a couple stories here though that qualify for mm, terror in the sky. Yeah. Flight two zero nine. You are cleared for takeoff. Roger. Get off my plane. Roger. Roger. What's our vector, Victor? Enough is enough. I have had it with these monkey fighting snakes on this Monday. It's Gary and Shannon's Terror in the Skies on KFI. Speaking of Nick Fury, I finally saw Avengers Infinity War yesterday. Are we going to talk about that? No, not yet. Okay. Well, we should talk about it off the air. Yes, we should. (laughs) Because I have a theory. Oh, okay. Well, there was a woman and her children who were kicked off a United flight because a fellow passenger complained that the woman smelled bad. Yeah, this there's something going on here. This is being unearthed thanks to a racial discrimination lawsuit filed against United. The incident involved a a passenger, a white man, and uh, Queen... Obioma. Thank you. That's a beautiful name. That is... Obioma. That is is a beautiful name. Queen Obioma is a Nigerian citizen, and she's with her two kids, and they're boarding a flight from Houston to San Francisco. It's just one leg of a trip from Nigeria all the way to Canada to take her kids to school. Right. And she sees that the other passenger, the white guy, had sat in her assigned seat in the business class cabin. He refuses to move, so a flight crew member instead asks her to sit elsewhere in business class. Time out. Yeah. You ever had anybody sit in your seat in an airplane, in an assigned seat airplane? Yes. Okay. And what do they do? Well, You go, oh, you know what? I think I'm in 13F. Sometimes the tickets say the same thing because they overbooked the flight. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. Well, so I, guess I don't know if that was the case been. here, but okay. it could have been, yeah. Well, they had enough room. Where yeah. they, they obviously asked her to sit somewhere else in business class, so they had room to, to arrange it. But I would imagine if somebody was sitting in my seat, I would say, that's, buddy, that's my seat. Now, uh, before takeoff, she goes to use the bathroom, and on her way back to her seat, the same guy, the white guy, is standing in the aisle blocking her from getting to her seat, according to this lawsuit. She says, excuse me, three times, but is ignored. And after several minutes, she manages to squeeze her way to her seat. But just after she sits down, a crew member told her to go outside the aircraft, where another employee told her she was going to be removed from the flight. The lawsuit says the pilot had personally requested she be removed because of the white guy and had complained that her smell was pungent and not comfortable flying with her. So she and her kids were taken off this airplane. The lawsuit says they were marched out of the aircraft like criminals, confused and perplexed. She sobbed uncontrollably for a long time. They had to wait five hours before they could get on another flight, miss their scheduled appointments. Of course, she incurred more expenses because of this. But United's media office is not speaking about this. They did not immediately respond to a request for comment over the weekend. Uh, there's something else going on. Again, this is her lawsuit, so this is through her eyes right. of what she saw. Uh, it would be interesting to see what the, uh, the 
<laughs> the airline has to say about it. Because it wasn't too long after this that they were dragging David Dow off the plane in Chicago. This wasn't your pilot friend that no, requested not, she leave the plane. No, I don't think okay. he would do that. Okay, good. Um, American Airlines also just kicked off a first-class passenger for being a douchebag. Well, no. listen, he was trying to do his friends a solid. He was no. in first class. The friends were in economy. And he gets free drinks. They don't. So he decided to pass them back. He boards with a couple of friends. Uh, he helps them slide past the gate agent despite the fact that they have too many carry-ons. Again, rules haven't changed on what you can carry on to an airplane for 47 no, years. yes, they have. There are several airlines that are saying no more carry-ons, that you have to check everything. And then now, you used to be able to take, like, two things and your roller bag or whatever, but now they say one thing, and in some instances it's no things. It's either the roller bag or your purse or whatever. They, they've been changing crap. Like, really? Yeah. Not, oh, and, anyway. it's, and it pisses people off to, well, to the point of, off. yeah, so exactly. He, he gets in despite the fact that they have too many carry-ons, and... He asks the flight attendant, you know, as soon as you sit down in first class, I hear, they ask you if you would like a drink. Champagne, ma'am, champagne, whatever it is. So his pre-departure beverage, he says, I'll take one of those. Oh, and two more for my friends. And they say, sorry, we can't do that. And he says, okay, well, then uh, give me that and a beer for my lady friend here, who's the stranger sitting next to him he'd never met before. So finally, the flight attendant brings both his drink and the drink for the stranger next to him. And he gets up and starts walking back to give him to his buddies. That's a good friend. First class guy was kicked off the flight. His friends weren't? No. What did they do? Well, if they were going to accept the drinks. He's the one who broke federal law. Yeah, though. he's the one who did it. It's not a them. federal law? Oh, federal law. It says it at the bottom. Federal law, you can only ex- take the drink from... Uh, no person may drink any alcoholic beverage aboard an aircraft unless the certificate holder operating the craft has served that beverage to him. That is poorest. Wow. That is poorest. That is hard on the pores in the economy. If we have a friend in first class, we should get a, a cocktail. Oh, poor, poorest. If, if you're a, can you Got share it. your blanket with your friends? No like blanket your sharing. Excellent blanket. point. Excellent point. Or your what about your eye, socks? Yeah, or the little eye things mm-hmm, they give you mm-hmm. in first class to cover your eyes. Well, the law just says alcoholic beverage. So yeah. unless you soak the blanket in alcohol, I think we're good. Well, <laughs> we have a, a restaurant up in the Monterey Bay area that is restricting children, and it's not a horrible idea. We'll talk about it. How was your Mother's Day? Wait, don't tell me now. Gary and Shannon, that's us. That's me and you. That is we. Where are you going? You heard in Amy's news about the Golden State Killer appearing in court. We'll get into that coming up next, as well as this new fame for one of the investigators that worked on the Golden State Killer case. Yeah, but you uh, got to the, the true the true crime community is all hot for this guy. They got to find a new slogan, though. They're calling themselves <laughs> Holarinos. His mm. name's Paul Holes, yeah. and uh, the hashtag Hot for Holes. Is a thing. No, no, no. Yeah. Mm-hmm. no. Yeah. Are there more hashtags that like explain? Uh, this was the best. The best line. Where's where did it go? Oh yeah, this is the best line. He's like the real life Elliot Stabler minus rage issues. <laughs> awesome. Um, 
Well, in Monterey, there is a uh, Fisherman's Wharf restaurant that's uh, getting some, I don't know if you'd say it's unnecessary publicity. It's getting publicity for one of their policies, or their their policies on children, I should say. I've been to this place. Uh, It's called Old Fisherman's Grotto. It's Monterey Bay. I bet you they serve, you know, seafood. The, The sign outside Old Fisherman's Grotto says, no strollers. No high chairs, no booster chairs. Children crying or making loud noises are a distraction to other diners and as such are not allowed in the dining room. Well, if you're going to go to a nice place and spend some money on a, a meal that's supposed to be like a date night or a special occasion or something like that, you shouldn't have to deal with, with people's uh, kids going nuts, especially if you're one of those parents who doesn't uh, talk to your kids when Uh, they're going nuts. Or I think the biggest issue that I have with this, because I totally support this idea, and I went to restaurants with kids, I mean my kids, uh, if you're not willing to sacrifice part of your dinner to get your kid up by the ear or whatever it takes to get them outside and tell them we're not going back inside and you're not eating your food in this restaurant... If you continue to make that noise or behave that way or kick your sister's chair or whatever's going on, you have to be you have to know going into a restaurant, there's a chance you're going to have to give up part of that meal or leave altogether. It seems like there's a dwindling amount of respect for other people in a, a wide variety of arenas. And this is one of them. I feel like it's gotten worse when it comes to people making that sacrifice and disciplining their kid or taking the kid outside or whatever. And People you know are just what, like, oh, you know what? This is what it is. I'm a, I'm a parent. And this is what I have to deal problem, with, and you have to deal with it, too. biggest problem now is that they'll give their kid a tablet or a phone yes. and allow that kid to just veg out and be not involved in the conversation, which I understand. I mean, I probably would have been tempted to do the same thing, but I would never – I would never allow my kid to play that damn thing at full volume so that everyone at every surrounding table knows how many coins he's been collecting. Gling, 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 gling. The constant noise. And then the fact that it's bothering my conversation. Right. Like it's in it's in interrupting my conversation and I'm not even at the same table with that kid. How can they possibly stand there, sit there? And allow that to go on. Well, and here's why I think, too, because it's not just kids that play the, the video games or whatever at full volume. It's adults. You know, it's people that are grown that think it's okay on a plane or in a restaurant to to listen to whatever they're listening to with the volume up without headphones. And I don't know how you think that that's okay. I mean, you're you're infiltrating all of our ears with your the only thing you should be listening to that loud is the Gary and Shannon show on the iHeartRadio app if you want. To yeah, but I'd want people to use headphones when they were listening to us so that uh, other strangers or passerby yeah. hear us and then hate us for the audio terrorism. But the screaming, the constant noise. That, uh, oh, my God. Where did that come from? That was, that, that was Michelle's. That was my experience <laughs> this Saturday at the Olive Garden up in Awesome Town. How can you enjoy your breadsticks when you're I, hearing that? It was, and it wasn't just one. It was one on the left, one on the right, one way far away somewhere in the restaurant that you could hear, and it was a constant. And and what bothers me, I like kids. I don't have kids, but I like kids. I have lots of nieces and nephews. I've been to a lot of dinners when kids, when my ki- when all my sister's kids were under the age of six. And they all behaved. If they started to act up, my sister would take them outside, have a little conversation, and they right. would come back. 
nobody tried to stop any of these kids from screaming for no reason. It wasn't yeah. like they were upset or yeah. anything like and, that. And be clear, this restaurant that we're talking about in Monterey, Old Fisherman's Grotto, doesn't say no children. It just says that children crying and making loud noises are not allowed in the dining room. Because you go there and you go and you can dine as long as your kid's well behaved and quiet. They're going to everything's fine. Everything's going to be wonderful. It, but it's that kind of a restaurant. Now, I go to uh, I go to a pizza place or I go to like, uh, yeah. you know, my my local taqueria. And I know that they're going to be playing. There's going to be a band means. there there's, or something there's like probably that. Probably video game yeah. things. I, yeah. I went to see a uh, I went to see a concert on Saturday night uh, at, up in Awesome Town as well. And it's a place that normally uh doesn't cater to kids, but it says you can have a kid there under 18 as long as they're sitting with their parent. This kid was running back and forth across the uh, across one of the raised levels there in front of us. He only did it one time, but still, I thought, where the hell am I? And where is your father? Like, what is going on here that you can just run around in this place? And that would bo- that's what bothers me more than anything else, is there seems to be more of a... Yes. The parents just ignoring their children's behavior. And then if you, God forbid, you say something or well, you say, no, you oh, no, no, you, you know, can't. could you maybe no, they'll have you arrested your kid? They just have and then they'll sue you for harassment. Yeah. And then you put the, the awkward part. I would hate to be a server in a restaurant like that where someone's like, hey, would you do me a favor? Yeah. Could you go ask that family to put some headphones on that kid so that I don't have to listen to him play his game? And they would just if I was a server, though, if I was a restaurant that catered to families like that, I would constantly have, you know, 99-cent store head uh, earbuds that you pass out. Hey, buddy, I see you're playing a game. Why don't you put these damn things in your ear so that nobody has to listen? Yeah, to I always feel bad, like, if, if I'm on a plane and there's somebody with the volume up on their phone or whatever, and then I'll look at the flight attendant, and then I'll look over the person, like, can you do something? <laughs> and she shouldn't have to do something, or he shouldn't have to do something. They shouldn't have to be the police, but that's just the way it is. Um what was I going to say? I just think that there is a, a growing uh, selfishness that's going on with uh, I don't care about uh, my kids are going to do what they want to do. This is my family. This You just have to put up with it. You just have to deal with it. I would even say it goes beyond that. It's just a lack of awareness that there are other people in the world. Like you go and sit down and have your dinner. If I'm there with if I'm there with four or five buddies and we're sitting there having a couple of beers or something like that, watching the game, depending on what kind of a restaurant we're in or what kind of a bar we're in, I would at least be conscious of the fact who of who's around me, you know, so that our conversation doesn't impose upon them uh, for whatever reason. Just and it, I don't know. It seems like people could care less about anybody else that's, that's around. Exactly right. Doesn't happen within six inches of their face. It doesn't happen. Right. We know people. All right. Hot, hot for holes. <laughs> let's let's isolate that, Blakey. We'll yeah, tell you what. Thumbs up. We'll tell you. Uh, We'll tell you what that means when we come back. Who is hot for holes? Gary and Channel will return. You want to just keep saying thousand dollars when we come back. <laughs> Gary and Channel. It's Monday. It's May fourteenth. That means well, it means a bunch of things, including I got a thousand dollars. We want to give away. Your shot at $1,000 now. Text the keyword bank to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's bank to 200-200.
Winners notified by phone. you got to answer that phone if you are going to be that winner and collect that $1,000. If you don't win this hour, there's another chance next hour and the hour after that and after that, all the way through the first hour of the Conway Show, giving away $1,000 an hour. Well, the Golden State Killer appeared in court today for murder charges he faces from the deaths of a couple in Sacramento in 1978. And this was a hearing all about whether or not to unseal search warrants in his arrest. No cameras were allowed in court. The issue was continued until May 29th. Um, unique that in this one, the guy actually walked into court today, as opposed to having been wheeled around in a wheelchair. And uh, as we saw from, or have heard, I should say, from a couple of different law enforcement people that we've talked to about this case, that whole wheelchair thing, looking confused and dazed in, he, in his first court appearances, it was all an act. It's the wheelchairs. It's the uh, putting a defendant in a suit and tie. It's putting glasses on a defendant. It's <laughs> all made to say to a jury, eh, it's not that bad of a guy. Right. Paul Holes was an investigator for the Contra Costa County Sheriff's Department. And he was the guy when they first had the big dog and pony show up there in Sacramento that was kind of just standing in the background with all the DAs getting up there talking about all the great work they did in bringing this guy to justice. Paul Holes now has quite a bit of a following. It's so funny. I mean, it's funny in that we're talking about a, we're talking about a serial killer. And and I know that Paul Holes isn't the serial killer, but the idea that you would attach a sort of a sex symbol status to this guy in the context of the story that we now know him for is just weird to me. Hordes of true crime aficionados are now tweeting their admiration for Paul Holes with the hashtag hot for holes. <laughs> I'm going to look it up on Twitter right now. Oh, I don't know. There are uh, people who want to nominate him. I get. I don't know how this works, but they want to nominate him to be named People's Sexiest Man Alive. Tw- oh my gosh! He, he he tweeted about it. He did. He said first. Wait, let's follow him first. Let's get that out of the way. <laughs> uh, first, he says, absolutely flattered by hashtag Hot for Holes. <laughs> some talent behind some of that artwork. Second, I'll see how I can get that blue check mark so everybody can feel confident this is me. Oh, no. It seems <laughs> yeah, like nobody uh... Nobody wants to follow random holes on Twitter, right? Right, right. Sorry, Blake. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> Women and men around California uh, and around the world say that he's got good looks, a career-long dogged pursuit of a bad guy is a potently sexy combination. Um, there is a specific podcast, something called My Favorite Murder. Uh, the people who listen to that call themselves Murderinos and are now calling themselves Holerinos in the context of Paul Holes. There's a whole group of Paul Holes memes, like what would Paul Holes do? Well, uh, one of them, uh, the text juxtaposed against a picture of Paul Holes staring sultrily out at the viewer. He uh, he tweeted his first tweet just a handful of days ago, and he opened it with hashtag Paul Holes. And they wrote, hi, all. First tweet ever. Had a great time at CrimeCon. Thanks to everybody there that made it such a great experience. Looking forward to telling my story as there was a lot about my hunt never made public. Hashtag East Area Rapist. Hashtag Golden State Killer. Hashtag got him. 
Um, and then that murder podcast you mentioned, My Favorite Murder, they tweeted, please be respectful of this married man of the law. Hashtag hot for holes. <laughs> you can't say that and then, and hashtag, then hashtag hot for holes. Uh, you can buy, if you're interested, a uh, hashtag hot for holes keychain, uh, a tank top or a necklace that says I heart Paul holes. One that has Paul holes stamped into one half of a broken heart. You can even buy a doormat that now says you better have pizza, wine and Paul holes with you. Steve McVeigh is a guy who lives in Dublin, Ireland, and he says he'll be a gay icon soon enough because Steve himself says he's drawn to Holes's yummy American accent, his gorgeous eyes, and his articulate and cool as ice demeanor. (laughs) (laughs) I don't. Oh, these tweets are hilarious. This is a fun hole to go down. Get it? Oh, I didn't mean to do that. Yeah, you did. Nope. Yes. No, I didn't. Uh, do you think it, they think he's all that? I mean, he's an attractive guy. He's a guy, good looking or? guy, but I, I mean, I wouldn't go down. I wouldn't start hot for holes and tweets. You say so. What do you think? You think he's a good looking guy? I mean, he's not. I don't know. He's not uh, gruesome to look at. <laughs> I mean, I don't know where the bar is for me to say he's a good looking guy. <laughs> he does look a little bit like Elliot Stabler. <laughs> that is true. Uh, but what is it, Elliot Stabler without the... Rage issues. Without the rage issues. Which I kind of like about Elliot Stabler. Uh, yeah, it gives him depth. I suppose you could call it that. Um, some of the stories that we have been watching today include the fact that the U.S. has opened uh, the embassy in Jerusalem, as the president promised to do. Uh, the Palestinians were protesting along the border with Gaza, and at least 52 people were killed. They're saying now 2,400 people have been injured in those clashes. Uh, And then also actress Margot Kidder died today at the age of 69. Also breaking, Meghan Markle's father will not be going to the royal wedding, will not be walking her down the aisle. Apparently, there has been a big kerfuffle over Meghan Markle's father. He doesn't seem to be like a reputable gentleman. He does not. The uh, the Queen also signed that big document over the weekend. Did you see that to give her consent? For yeah, Meghan I was to I was thinking prince? about trying to get her on the phone today to talk about that. That's an odd thing to sign over consent like that for a marriage. But I guess you, the for, royal from grandma too. Right. Like I didn't know that she had. And that, isn't that it's a physical document? Yes, yeah, signed with her own hand. That's what they say. A little a little drip of gin on the top just to make it smell like Grammy. Uh, I bet she's off the gin as she gets ready for the wedding. Uh, I don't yeah, know. She wants to look her best. She wants to look her best? Yeah. She can look her best and have a couple of gin, gin and tonics. All right. When we come back, the volcano in Hawaii continues to explode. We're going to be talking with an actual volcanologist. Yes, one of those, about exactly what's going on and how worried people should be as they uh, live on the big island there. Do you think he's going to get like a hot for holes thing going on for his volcano knowledge? I'm, I'm not going to do it anymore. I can't do it anymore. Because it's too much. Gary and Shannon will continue. This is the first time we've had a volcanologist on the show. We have a t-shirt or something we can give him or a sticker? No. Oh. No. 
That's assuming a lot, isn't it? I think so. We've, uh, for the last couple of weeks, been following, as have uh, probably millions of people around the world, the story of the eruptions from Kilauea Volcano on uh, the big island of Hawaii as uh, lava continues to flow through areas there that have uh, destroyed a couple dozen structures uh, and the worst could potentially be yet to come. Dr. Peter Ward has worked with the USGS for 27 years and he knows this particular volcano very well. Dr. Ward, thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here. Hey, uh, tell us your history with Kilauea. I understand that you've uh, spent a lot of time there. Well, back in the 60s, I spent uh, quite a bit of time in the summer um, studying Kilauea. And I study volcanoes all over the world. I installed uh, instruments on Kilauea. I also installed instruments on Lassen, um, Mount St. Helens, Rainier, Baker, and much through Central America. So volcanoes have been a major part of my life. I climbed the first active volcano when I was 19. Wow. So what has been your reaction to what's going on with Kilauea? Is it exciting for you? Are you as, as troubled as we are when we hear reports that uh, projectiles the size of cars could erupt from from this summit? Well, um, the eruption in, in Kilauea that we're seeing is totally expected. It's what's been going on for a very long time. What's changed most is that people have built a lot of homes on lava that's not very old. And so we, there is a major concern now about uh, telling as clearly as we can what's happening, where it's dangerous and where it's not dangerous. Now, one of the things that, that you refer to is the question of a major explosion at the summit. And what's been observed is that the lava has withdrawn back down into the earth. And when that happens, water comes in on top of it, creates steam, and that just blows steam out, which is not too bad. But then when the vent begins to cave in over this collapsed lava, then you can get a major explosive eruption. Uh, Uh, So far, we haven't seen that, but people are being warned. People are being kept away from the edge of Holly Mount Crater uh, until we know what's going to happen. When was the last time we saw uh, an eruption like that that you just described? 1944. So... Uh, what is changing now is similar to what happened in 1944. Uh, it's quite a bit more uh, ominous than what's happened more recently. Uh, it certainly is a potential. There could be bombs coming out or big blocks of rock coming out as large as cars or bigger. But at this point, it, uh, if you're not within a few miles of the volcano, then there's no big harm. Yeah, I, was, I noticed that as well. I mean, the scale of this, when we see the pictures, it's incredibly dramatic to see this lava flowing down the streets and swallowing up homes and trees, et cetera. But this is a, this is a tiny portion of the entire island of Hawaii. Well, it's not only a tiny portion, but it's on the East Rift Zone. And the East Rift Zone is where the um, volcano is rifting apart, coming apart, and lava is coming up through those rifts. And so there have been uh, 18 fissures that have opened so far uh, where lava is coming out of those fissures. Many of the homes that you see in Lavani Estates uh, were built on lavas that are not more than a few hundred years old. And so uh, it's just it, it's nature doing its thing. Talking to Dr. Peter Ward, you said you climbed your first active volcano at age 19. What, out of curiosity, what drew you to that? <laughs> what what 
What got you fired up to do that? <laughs> well, you know, a little further, I uh, freshman year in college, I wanted to sign up for geography. And when I got there, my name begins with W, so I was late on the line. They said, sorry, it's full. What are you going to take? Quick, what's your answer? I said, geology. And I took geology, and I loved it. And the professor, I ended up working for him in Thanksgiving, and he was one of the top volcanologists in the world. And so we spent much of our professional life together, and uh, that's how I got into it, just a little bit of serendipity. Uh, one of the one of the concerns that we had about this volcano is the potential for it, uh, whatever ash cloud comes out of it, if there is a larger eruption, to to um, get in the way of airline travel. We saw that with the Eye of Fly of something something volcano in Iceland a couple of years ago. Is there a potential for that to happen here too? Uh, in Iceland. Oh, right, that's, that's exactly that what I said. Only I a volcanologist <laughs> will be able. <laughs> well, I actually wrote my PhD on Iceland, and so I spent spent quite a bit of time there. But uh, anyway, no, it's not a threat to aircraft. It's not even a threat to most people in Hawaii. It's perfectly safe to go to Hawaii at the moment, but the southeast corner of the Big Island of Hawaii is not the place to be. Yeah, uh, you and I share something in common when we've both been on Mount Lassen at the very top. I assume you went there. Um, what when you see something like Lassen? I mean, it's been dormant for however long. That's an oppor- Is that an opportunity for us to learn something and be be cautious of this giant in our backyard? Well, the good news about volcanoes is normally before they have a big eruption, they show activity. You get small earthquakes, you get tilting of the ground, you might even get a little steam. But before you get a big blast, you typically have uh, days to weeks to months of warning that something is that it's beginning to look active. Now, in St. Helens, there were suddenly three very big earthquakes a couple of months before the eruption. And we didn't really know what it meant at the time, but if we, we immediately got on it. And uh, we're looking at the volcano very carefully at the time that it erupted. So it's the same with Lassen um, and other and, uh, Mammoth uh, Hot Springs area and uh, other areas in the western United States. We have every reason to expect that when a volcanic eruption that's going to kill people is likely to happen, we will already be seeing activity on that volcano. Are these major players when you look at climate change? Well, it turns out, one of the, in my research, I've spent a, I'm now retired, and I've spent the last 12 years looking very, very carefully at the relationship between volcanoes and climate change. And it's the kind of eruption that we see in Hawaii, this basalt flowing out on the ground, but at a much larger scale that we find throughout all of Earth's history is associated with times of major global warming. The biggest volcano of this type was Barthabunga in Iceland in 2014. In six months, lava covered an area the size of Manhattan, 33 square miles. That's 30 times the rate of eruption in Hawaii. I believe that is the reason that 2016 is the hottest year on record. Interesting. Yeah. Well, when um, when you when you are to you know lay down your eyes at night, uh, lay your head on that pillow and close your eyes. Is there a, uh, a volcano outside of Hawaii that gives you the most concern? No, so there are. Uh, in Indonesia, uh, in Bali, there was a major Agung eruption, was of great concern for a while. Um, and uh, that erupted, that lasted in 1963. 
and an eruption like that today would kill a lot of people. Uh, it became very active, but it's cooled down at this point. Uh, Merapi is another one in Indonesia. I mean, we're volcanologists have gotten pretty good at identifying where the active volcanoes are at the moment and at giving some reasonable estimate of what the hazard is. But you never know with nature. Uh, and then finally, what's your favorite volcano movie ever? Please don't say John the Volcano. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. Um, I'm not much of a movie watcher, for one thing. Oh. Well, we got some good ones for you. Joe versus the Volcano is yeah, one, no, but uh, there's, there's plenty of others as well. There's, In fact, I think there was a Pierce Brosnan one where uh, the volcano was about to swallow uh, Los Angeles. It was either Pierce Brosnan or Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah, well, the Pierce Brosnan one was uh, where he's driving his tire, he's driving his vehicle over the top of hot lava. That's right. Things. That's right. And then there, of and, course, is the Tommy Lee Jones uh, volcano from 1997. That's the one I was thinking of. All right. Well, uh, Dr. Ward, we thank you again. Thanks for having fun with us. Well, glad to. Dr. Peter Ward there, a volcanologist, long time uh, with the uh, U.S. Geological Survey, uh, also an author, developed a national research program, chaired a committee at the White House, testified before Congress. The Devil at 4 o'clock with Frank Sinatra. That's one of the top 15 volcano movies. And 2012, I think, was a movie about a volcano that was erupting in Yellowstone. So stupid. So dumb. We have a (laughs) volcanologist volcanologist on the horn. We're like, what's your favorite volcano movie? Good Lord. Hey, did you see the puppy on Facebook over the weekend? No, you didn't. And I'll tell you why. Gary and Shannon, (laughs) KFIAM 640. KFI AM 640, White House now saying the responsibility for the deaths in Gaza and all the fighting there rests squarely with Hamas. Supports Israel's right to defend itself. We'll have all the latest when we go live to Jerusalem coming up in about a half an hour in Swamp Watch. Uh, Raj Shah was the one who was handling the uh, daily briefing from the White House. And he also said that the issue of the staffer saying about John McCain it, he doesn't matter. He's going to die anyway. That all of that was handled internally is what they say. I but heard Sarah Huckabee Sanders lost her freaking mind, as, as well she, she should, should have. Yeah, uh, She was not only upset about the comment uh, and the character of the comment, but the fact that all of the stories were leaking. And then there were leaks about the leaks and then leaks about the leaks about the leaks. Facebook has very strict guidelines when it comes to pictures of your body parts. They will allow man nipples, but not women nipples, including breastfeeding pictures. Okay. They will allow fake news planted by Russians. Could I breastfeed? No, but you could put your nipples on Facebook. Got it. Could I? Not that I would. Could I simulate breastfeeding and put that on Facebook? Interesting. Well, because you do have enough easy where easy if you just did the like a body shot, if you cut off your yeah. head. Do so you, so you see that look it, Michelle is giving you? Well, I mean, you have nipples. He does. That's right. And he has breasts. Yes. I mean, whatever the muscle is called, 
where the, the breath, pectoral yeah you work your pectorals right so you've got a little bit of a, a mound there <laughs> about an a cup good god it we have a picture on our instagram no we don't we took that off years ago gary actually got rid of the shirt he was wearing oh we did take that off already? yeah oh this no nudity policy though on facebook can lead to some <laughs> can lead to some wrong decisions like especially a, when they have because they'll use image recognition software to decide what is a naked nipple and what is just like cookies. What is a man nipple and what is a female nipple? Sure. One dog owner found out the hard way. He posted a, a picture of his cute little puppy. Um, Mexican hairless puppy. Okay. We, Can you pronounce the name of that dog? Yes. Where did it it's go? It's right here. Saucel. Uh yeah, so let's accundly, accundly, accundly. Princess is part that. Seriously? Yeah. She don't look Chihuahua anything like this. That. They thought that the dog was a penis, and it was banned instantly. In fact, he got the notification I'm reserved. I'm sorry. Could you repeat that? They thought the puppy was what? A penis. It's a hairless dog. I know. <laughs> but that is not. Did you uh, see the photo? Yes, I've seen the photo. It does look like it. Okay. Um, we got the uh, standard notification reserved for obscene posts. That just says... We've hidden this post because it doesn't follow our community standards. It'll be deleted from Facebook soon. It does look like not a dog. <laughs> like not a dog. Now, you could search all you want for this on Facebook. You're never going to find it. But we have it. Blake's gonna, yeah, Blake's putting it up on your page. Um, screenshots of the post went viral on Twitter. But here's the thing with this dog owner. The reason he took the picture like this is because he knew it looked like a penis. Really? How? Why else would he hold it like that? Because he said he was using it. He was holding it in his hand for scale just to show you, like, my, my dog but is so dog small is he fits in my down. hand. It's like it's. Now, I think it's, I don't even like the face-up picture of this puppy. No, I don't, this, this puppy's, puppy's not terrifying. cute. No. cute. No, 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 Michelle, no. There is a line. <laughs> this dog. You sound like you're talking to Alexa. <laughs> Alexa, is this puppy cute? Yes. No. <laughs> now, I will admit, I did have to, <laughs> you do have to kind of look at it twice. Yeah, a couple times. And say, oh, that's now, oh, was, that's his little puppy arm. If it was a penis, that would be an oddly shaped <laughs> Holy cow. thing, right? I can't believe you just said that. Well, because it does that. It goes like that. Like This is radio. You just did a, you just drew something in the air with your fingers. I'm sorry for talking about your mounds. What? I just wanted to say I apologize. <laughs> Uh, we will tell you when we get that picture up. Blake's putting it up so that you can see for yourself uh, and argue about whether or not it looks like a puppy. It's not even an A cup. When we come back, we're going to do all of what's trending. Also, uh, did you say the queen is coming or you called the queen? Michelle, I did where... we get – I put in a request. Yes, yeah, she's calling in. Oh, excellent. Right. Next hour, I guess, the latest about the, the wedding prep for, uh, for Megan and Harry. Megan and Harry this weekend. You're just so not up on all things royal. I just don't care. Gary and Shannon will continue right after this. I'm in deep with this girl, but she's out of my mind. Whoa.
It's Monday in the 1 o'clock hour. We welcome Rebecca Jarvis to talk about money stuff. Oh, not Big just deal that. Today. Not just that. She's going to be in studio. Yes. That's lucky for us. We've never met Rebecca. We've been talking to her for, what, more than two years? I love it. I love it, too. Uh, we'll talk with Rebecca next hour, as a matter of fact. So that'll be very cool. The bottom of this hour, we're going to get into Swamp Watch. Talk about some stuff going on in D.C., including the White House's latest reaction to the uh, to the remark on John McCain. The White House today during the press briefing, Raj Shah said that it was being dealt with in uh, it was dealt with internally. Um, we also found out uh, that former Senator Harry, Harry Reid is being treated for cancer as well. Pancreatic cancer. It is noon and at noon every day here on the Gary and Shannon show. We run down the stories that everyone talks about. Time for What's Happening. They're talking about sharing it on the social medias. Right, that sounded like I was 900. Liking it on the Facebooks. Yeah. I'm not going to say that anymore. Okay. Lois Lane died. Margot Kidder, 69 years old, passed away at her home up in Montana. Cause of death unknown. We knew that she had some medical issues. She was diagnosed bipolar. And there was an incident, I think, in 96 when... She had some sort of breakdown. Yeah, she's uh, she became the face, I think, for a lot of uh, people when it came to mental illness and her own sort of self inspection after that happened was uh, a sort of eye opening for a lot of people because she said that the root of most of her problems, mood swings, uh, et cetera, et cetera, she said was manic depression and that she was first diagnosed with the condition by a psychiatrist eight years before the incident that we all read about in 96, but that she was refusing to take treatment. She refused to take her, her medicine, uh, and it things just spiraled out well, of control Well, people don't know that there's anything wrong with them when they're manic. And she said, you know, at one point, it's, it's hard to convince a manic person there's anything wrong with them. You have no desire to sleep. You're full of ideas. Really you don't want to stop. She died at her home yesterday in Livingston, Montana, at the age of 69. Well, the uh, story internationally that is getting all the headlines today is also being shared uh, around at least 2,400 Palestinian demonstrators wounded, at least 50 of them killed along the Gaza Strip. They had been killed in the latest round of protests over the opening of the U.S. embassy in Jerusalem. A mass attempt by Palestinians to cross the border fence quickly turned violent. Israeli soldiers responding with rifle fire. They're saying that it's the bloodiest single day since uh, 2014, since the campaign of demonstrations began. They said several teenagers, although there was a reference to children as well. I don't know if they mean the same thing, if they're using the same word there. But several teenagers were killed as well. I mean, just the just the visuals, the vast majority of the people in those crowds are young men. And part of the problem is they got nothing to do. I mean, literally, they don't have any jobs. They don't have any potential future. They, uh, so this is what the Hamas has suggested they do is go storm the border. The problem is Israel has a lot of bullets. Yeah, they have uh, one, two, three lines of defense and reservists have been called in. A huge story today from the Supreme Court letting states legalize sports gambling, ruling in favor of New Jersey and striking down a 25-year-old federal law that was pretty much a ban on sports betting outside of Nevada. 
This overturned uh, a decision by the Third Circuit Court of Appeals. It basically means that states can decide, if Congress fails to do so, states can decide what they want to do when it comes to betting. This could open the door for a sports book on every corner. Yeah, it's not It's not a guarantee that California or other states would get involved. I know New Jersey's going to get involved. They're the ones who were involved in this case. There was a report last year that estimated that as many as 32 states could offer legal sports betting within the next five years if this thing was struck down. It's The pieces are, are in place, ready to go on this, just waiting for this ruling. So you'll be able to bet on... NFL games, you'll be able to, you know, like we talked about earlier, you, know, you could could probably go to a game at the, you know, StubHub Center, whatever, go see the Chargers and uh, make a bet on your way into the stadium. Mm. Just, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm curious to see how they're going to carve out specific things in this, uh, in these rules and how each state is going to do things differently. Prop bets will be a problem because you can't have a bet on who's going to cause the first foul of a game. And uh, then that player is approached by somebody and say, hey, you got to throw the first foul and I'll give you this kickback. Will there be some states that only allow betting on professional sports or will they allow betting on collegiate sports? And will they draw a line at high school sports? I mean, yeah, I don't know. Um, they're talking about some sort of an integrity tax where the, the league, whatever league you're talking about, would get a kickback to make sure that the players aren't. I just don't know how you would be able to guarantee the complete integrity of a game. You can't. I don't think you yeah. can. I mean, and the, the major the major league uh, leagues, all of them fought against this originally uh, was on behalf of the state of Nevada because they're the ones who had the monopoly on sports betting. I think the NBA and Major League Baseball sort of softened their position eventually, but they're still definitely concerned about the potential for corruption inside the game. This was a fantastic visual, but terrifying. Highway 395 in Adelanto had a little traffic issue when a, when a bounce house floated onto the roadway in Victorville. It's, it's pretty rare, but we do... S- sometimes get these stories of bounce houses gone awry because it's very popular. And there's so many companies now that'll come to your house and set up the bounce house. It's gotten more affordable. And so you you never really know, I guess, how great a company is. Well, here's one, here's one suggestion. Don't put it on the driveway. Uh, and here's the other one. Stake it down. Yeah. Stake it down so it doesn't move in high winds. That's just a guess. The nine-year-old kid was inside that bounce house when it was blown onto the highway. Uh, He fell out, but the bounce house was hit by a car. Now, you can imagine if you're driving along and you see a bounce house and you hit that thing, you're going to assume that there are children in there. And the driver of the car was pretty shaken up, I guess. Oh, I bet. But the kid is fine. The kid was like, that's one hell of a bounce house. (laughs) There was a bear attacking a five-year-old girl. This was in Grand Junction, Colorado, a black bear. Uh, early Sunday, roughly about 2.30 in the morning, a woman hears screaming coming from her yard, her yard just right above the Colorado River there. She goes outside, and she sees a large black bear dragging her five-year-old daughter. Holy hell. The, the young girl had gone outside to investigate noises that she thought were caused by her dog. The woman screams at the black bear. The black bear drops the girl. She's in good condition. She had to have a bunch of stitches. One of the stories I saw that she needed 70 stitches after being uh, gnawed on by this bear. When does 70 stitches mean good condition? 
Well, I mean, I I mean know they could have been medically all superficial. the whole bit, but still, maybe it's non-life threatening is what they're saying. Yeah, that's still a lot of holes in you. Not so much for the bear. To... Or one giant hole. They killed the bear. Yeah. Did they kill it? It. Uh, they're saying now that it was trapped and killed uh, early this morning. Okay. Well, I mean, the, what was the bear doing? The bear was being a bear. Right. That's the. That's the thing. Unless it was in imitating the girl's dog because she said she went outside to investigate noises she thought were caused by her dog. If the bear was imitating the dog in an attempt to lure her outside, then yes, it's time to put the bear down. Well, we are going to have some... Oh, you're probably going to take your break now. Your uh, state-mandated 15-minute break because you don't care about the royal wedding. And, you know, I don't either, but I do like checking in with the queen. You should should listen to her sometime. You should stay here because she's a kick. I got some tuna casserole or something like that. All right. Get into. We'll do that when we come back. Also, Gary. your chance to win a thousand bucks. How about that? Gary and Shannon. <laughs> Gary and Shannon. Monday, May 14th. Get into Swamp Watch at the bottom. Uh, I understand the first lady had to go into surgery today. Yeah, it was a kidney surgery. And uh, it says that she is going to be hospitalized for several days following the operation, an issue with her kidney that the office described as benign but requiring medical attention. Mm. Interesting. Right. We'll get into that a little bit more at uh, Swamp Watch at the bottom okay. of the hour. So but I could care wait, we, got, we got a thousand bucks uh, to give away. Don't, don't forget. Your shot at $1,000 now. Text the keyword WIN to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's WIN to 200-200. Winners notified by phone. But you got to pick it up if you're going to win that $1,000. If you don't win this time, there's another chance next hour and the hour after that, all the way through the John and Ken Show. And the first hour of the Conway Show, we give away $1,000. So don't really care about what flowers are going to be the royal wedding, uh, what hats are going to be worn, things like that. But the whole controversy around Meghan Markle and her family is kind of interesting. Her father now saying he is not going to the wedding, not going to be walking his daughter down the aisle because he doesn't want to embarrass the royal family or his daughter. This, of course, comes uh, on the heels of the fallout over him selling photos of himself, which he says he deeply regrets. Um, But now her extended family, who was not invited to to the royal wedding, has has uh, arrived in London at Heathrow. Uh, Her nephew, his brother, their mother, none of them were invited, but they are going to be special correspondents on Good Morning Britain. So they'll be dishing out family details, probably. For Saturday's big day. Anyway, we thought we'd talk to the Queen because the Queen over the weekend gave had to give her formal letter of consent. Liz. Hello. Do you like your new walk-up music? Oh, this is fantastic. Wonderful. Who did this? A little thing Gary put together. I know you're not. He must be a handsome and intelligent man. No. uh, No, he's not. He's okay. Okay. (laughs) Um, All right, so tell me. You like that detective, Mr. Hot for Holes? Ooh, that piece is a little bit of biscuit waiting to be buttered. I thought you would be into Paul Holes. He seems like something you would like. A gentleman. He seems kind of tiny, too. You could kind of just, like, toss him around. Oh, He's I not could, like Philip. I could saddle up one of the corgis, and he could run around the palace. <laughs> uh, 
All right, Liz, uh, what's going on with this consent letter? You had to actually fill out paperwork over this? This is just a bunch of hullabaloo. It's not a big deal. It's not. It's just it's paperwork for the most part. But Mm -hmm. uh, I did so for for, um, the big-eared one with the giant nose who married a horse. And I also did so for his son, uh, for for William, uh, when he married Kate, the commoner. Uh, But I also decided that I wanted to do this for for Harry and, and Meghan as well. Do you like uh, this this matchup? I mean, was it something that you signed uh, with delight or was it begrudgingly signed? Well, uh, there was some controversy because apparently when I wrote uh, Rachel Meghan Markle, I didn't uh, precede it with the words trusty and well-beloved. Mm. Uh, because she's not a British citizen, at least not yet. But everybody lost their knickers over that one. And I told them to just to shove it in their ears. It's weird. You sound oddly sober to me today. Oh, I have decided that this week I'm cutting down just a bit, although it is close to uh, TT time here in in London. I feel like I should probably, eh, instead of maybe seven or eight pops a day, I just cut down to maybe two. I want to ask you a question that I never got to uh, ask Nancy Reagan. Yes. Do you get tired of being trotted out at this stage in your life? Don't you just want to just do your thing? Like these big, huge events. Aren't you just tired of that crap of putting on pantyhose? Do you realize how many people it takes to put on my pantyhose? I, that's exactly right. I mean, I wouldn't want to fuss with that. No, are you kidding? I haven't lifted a finger to put on my own pantyhose since the 1940s. Why feel- even wear the pantyhose? Like, why not just say, screw it? Oh, my gosh. If I didn't wear pantyhose, it would look like an avalanche of oatmeal was coming out of the bottom of my dress. What do you mean, what do you mean not wear pantyhose? That's insanity. Do you not wear pantyhose every single day? No, I just let the oatmeal out, apparently. <laughs> well, that's disgusting. And, and whatever men work with you should be just... I feel sorry for them. I don't like you as much when you're sober, Liz. Oh, really? Look who's talking. <laughs> I find you boorish when you're not drunk. When are? What are you going to wear? Oh, uh, I have several dresses picked out. Uh, I do have uh, different models that have been uh, tasked with uh, showing me how these dresses will appear. But I was thinking of going something along the lines of the dress I wore back in the early 60s for one of the ceremonies of something I did back then. Um, I have a question. Yes. I, it's more of a concern. We're not looking at a weekend at Bernie's thing for Prince Philip that you just don't want to tell us about to ruin the whole royal wedding thing. Like, he is still breathing, right? We're not just propping him up with the... Uh, with the hopes of getting through the wedding and then dealing with it? Well, when you say breathing, what exactly are you <laughs> referring to? You, I mean, like, do his lungs work? Well, do his lungs work and or are machines working his lungs for him? Oh, no, no, no. That's all That's all him. Uh, okay. That man is a cockroach when it comes to his life. He's going to stay alive until he's 140. Okay, that's good to hear. Good yeah. to hear. But he won't be going to the wedding. Uh, I don't think so. So I think they may bring part of the reception to him, but uh, he won't know what's going on. He hasn't. I mean, he still believes it's 1983. What's your favorite part of a royal wedding? Oh, the horses. The horses. The horses. You're not talking about women right now. I am.
am. I oh, am. Well, Liz, specifically are... one of them. I, I think that Camilla is the one who's going to be carrying her son. Uh, it's not even her son, but her stepson. Uh, through the streets of London, she's going to be leading the trail. You're terrible. Ah, as are you. You're mean when you're sober. You're, we'll talk again. Your face is mean. I know. Well, let's talk again. How, how about you have a couple gins tomorrow? Okay, we'll see. Bye, Liz. Bye. Coming up next, Swamp Watch. The oatmeal thing was hilarious. I got to give you credit for that. That was next the level. The oatmeal thing? Yeah. What do you mean? The oatmeal down the legs. Good Lord. <laughs> Swamp Watch when we come back. Gary and Shannon will continue. Drain the swamp. We're going to drain the swamp of Washington. We're going to have fun doing it. We're all doing it together. Swamp Watch. Gary and Shannon. Keeping our eye uh, on the border fence between Israel and the Gaza Strip. More than 50 people have been killed in protests there as we open our embassy in Jerusalem. The uh, U.S. ambassador to Israel, David Friedman, was on hand for that dedication today. Uh, Let me turn him up a little bit because he's not quite that quiet. He was much more loud spoken and actually had an amplifier when he spoke. Today's historic event is attributed to the vision, the courage and the moral clarity of one person to whom we owe an enormous and eternal debt of gratitude, President Donald J. Trump. Jordana Miller is joining us from Jerusalem today. Jordana, this said to be, uh, this is a monumental occasion for one thing. Outside of the protest, this is significant for Israel. Absolutely. This is a decision that the American president made that has been uh, just praised across the political spectrum. Uh, I spoke today, for example, with with Tippi Livni. Uh, You may remember she was uh, the former foreign minister. Uh, She led the delegation for peace talks with the Palestinians under uh, Ehud Olmert. Uh, And uh, Livni said, uh, this is a day for all Israelis and all Jews to be happy because this is Jerusalem. This is the capital that has belonged uh, to the Jewish people and meant something to the Jewish people for thousands of years and since the state was founded. Uh, so for Israelis, this is about his really righting a historic wrong, and it is seen as separate from politics, though, of course, it has its political implications as well. Yeah, not everybody uh, excited about this in the international community. Absolutely not. Uh, It's worth mentioning that no European ambassadors were at the ceremony today. Uh, No one from France or Germany uh, or uh, England. They they boycotted the ceremony by and large. Uh, The move uh, was also condemned in the Arab world, uh, deeply unpopular. And then, of course, we saw uh, these massive protests today at the Gaza border, uh, far uh, larger uh, numbers than we have seen in the previous weeks, uh, 50,000, it looks like, is the latest estimate, many uh, clashing with Israeli forces, uh, throwing explosives and burning tires and kite bombs, some uh, coming up to the fence. And uh, we have just an enormous uh, loss of life tonight. Uh, the last p- uh, numbers from the Palestinian Health Ministry are at 55 protesters killed. Wow. Um they knew this was coming. I mean, the Israeli Defense Forces knew that something like this was possible, but did they expect to see 50,000 people there on the border? 
The Israelis absolutely expected to see 50,000 people at the border. They had reinforced their troops and tanks and uh, uh, men along the border. They dropped leaflets. Uh, last night and even this morning before the embassy was opened, uh, trying to warn uh, Palestinians not to approach the uh, the border fence, uh, saying to many Palestinian protesters, Hamas, the terrorist group that controls Gaza, is using you as a pawn. They're endangering your life. So Israel was prepared today uh, for the violence, and it may not it is not over. Tomorrow uh, is Nakba Day. That's the day the Palestinians commemorate uh, what they call uh, the tragedy of the state of Israel being founded. And uh, those protests will continue tomorrow in Gaza and in the West Bank and probably here in East Jerusalem as well. And then, of course, you've got Ramadan that starts, I think, on the 16th. That's right. Ramadan is coming up as well. Um, so it's really this week is a confluence of so many events um, and it's been really two weeks of a lot of events. If you just look back to, uh, you know, the president's decision to pull out the Iran nuclear deal, which was huge news here, obviously, and the uh, the Iranian uh, missile strike on the Golan Heights and Israel's very um, strong response. So it has been a very busy time here, and it doesn't look like it's uh, going to let up soon. Jordana, thank you very much. Thanks so much. Jordana Miller there live in Jerusalem with the latest on uh, the opening of our U.S. Embassy there in Jerusalem and the uh, the protests that are associated there with. And she said 55 people killed now. That's the toll from the Palestinian Authority uh, and well over 2,000 people who are injured in these protests today. Another big story coming out of D.C. is about First Lady Melania Trump. And she has undergone kidney surgery today at Walter Reed an issue with her kidney is how they're describing it. She had been experiencing an issue with her kidney. Her office has described it as benign but requiring medical attention. Melania turned 48 last month. Um, she's expected to remain hospitalized for several days following this operation. As she's the first first lady to undergo such a serious medical procedure since Nancy Reagan had a mastectomy in 1987. You're talking about it was an embolization Everybody knows more than I do about this. That it involves the selective occlusion of blood vessels by purposely introducing emboli. In other words, deliberately blocking a blood vessel. And they said that it was specifically treating, like you said, that benign kidney condition. The procedure was successful, no complications, but it looks like she'll be there for the remainder of the week. Uh, she looks forward to a full recovery so she can continue her work on behalf of children everywhere, according to the communications director for the First Lady, Stephanie Grisham. Um, the president was uh, still stayed in the White House during the surgery. He is expected to uh, make his way over to the hospital shortly uh, to make sure check on his wife. So I wonder if this was they planned it, you know, and they worked out the timing of her new campaign before she went in and ha and and dealt with this. I don't know because I think it depends on uh, the, the if they talk about her being a benign kidney condition, there wouldn't be in like they saw it last week and decided they needed to get on it right away. Right. No, uh, they said that she's the first to undergo such a serious medical procedure while in the White House since Nancy Reagan had her mastectomy in 87. Rosalind Carter also went in for a lump in her breast in 1977. So uh, those are very unusual for uh, for the first ladies to be uh, involved in a high-profile surgery like that. Well, remember that aide, we talked about it last week, the administration aide who said John McCain's opinion on 
Gina Haspel becoming director of the CIA didn't matter because he was dying anyway? Looks like Sarah Huckabee Sanders lost her mind. We'll talk about that and some other stuff that's coming up in this Washington, D.C. stuff with uh, Swamp Watch. Gary and Shannon will continue just a moment. Reminder, uh, Rebecca Jarvis is going to join us next hour, and she's going to do so in studio for the first time. We'll get to see and meet Rebecca Jarvis in person. So very cool. We'll come back and do that more of that when we come back again. Coming back again. Keep saying it. Gary and Shannon, Monday, May 14th. I should show you things that upset you in the break. Do that right as as Blake starts playing know, music I'm to sorry. come back. I apologize. Hey, look at that. Well, is it a puppy? No, <laughs> stop doing that. Well, uh, That is up on the website, isn't it, Blake? Is that where we got it? <clears throat> if you haven't seen that picture yet, there was a picture of a puppy that had to be taken off of Facebook because, well, it looked a whole lot like not a puppy. It looked like a male part. A pee-pee. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Get it? She said the pu- not a puppy. Yeah, that was good. I didn't. I did She's not get that on for the that first. one for hours. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> we have the picture up. Go to kfiam640.com. Use the keyword Gary and Shannon, and you'll see the picture of the puppy. The, it, it is a puppy. The aide who said that the opinion of John McCain is meaningless because he's dying anyway could have been fired, but was not, or has not been fired. I guess I should say uh, at this point. But instead, uh, Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders reportedly went after the White House communications team. Not for, for really making the remark or letting it sit, uh, but for leaking it. Yeah, they have done this. They have turned this into a story about the leaks in the White House. And it's a weird gymnastics spin that they've been able to put on this. She, I don't even care. Look, I don't care what your opinion is of John, John McCain. Everybody's got these other, you know, I know a lot of people, plenty of Republicans who do not like John McCain. But the idea that is... His vote doesn't matter because he's dying and that you would say that in a meeting in the White House? Well, here's the thing. I believe that comments like that would be said in the meeting at the White House. I think sick stuff like that is said probably pretty frequently in Washington when you're doing cost-benefit analysis of what to support and what not to support and how to move forward with things. But the leaking really has become the story because that is the thing that people usually don't hear. You know, you usually don't hear about it when remarks like that, tasteful remarks like that are said. Tasteless. Tasteless. What did I say? You said tasteful. No, Jesus, tasteful Mary remarks. and Joseph. I also apparently said that Nancy Reagan had a vasectomy instead of mastectomy. Whoops. <laughs> I don't know what the hell's going on. See, that's why I said, wow. Yeah, that must be. Good Lord, somebody called me out on it, and I'm like, I I hope I didn't say that. I didn't catch that either. You know what? I don't. I think you said mastectomy. I think I did too. But it's funnier if you did it the other way. Good Lord. Anyway, uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders has this meeting, and she says, "I'm sure this conversation is going to leak too, and that's just disgusting." When she's yelling at him over the whole thing, and then at least five White House staffers turned around and promptly linked her scolding. The yeah. media, the leak about the leak. Yeah, that's the that's the other part that adds sort of a layer of disgustingness to all of this. I mentioned earlier that Raj Shah uh, was the one who did the White House press briefing today. Uh, he's one of the I think he's the principal deputy communications or whatever the official title is. But he was there uh, and was answering a bunch of other questions, but also questions about this as well. 
and he said, uh, I understand the focus on this this issue, but it is going to be dealt with and has been dealt with internally, like you said. The he says, if we aren't able, uh, if you aren't able in internal meetings to speak your mind or convey thoughts or say anything that you feel without feeling like your colleagues will betray you, that creates a very difficult work environment. And he says, this matter is not about my opinion or anybody else's opinion. Do you know who was leading the meeting when Kelly Sadler allegedly made that remark? Raj Shaw was the guy leading that meeting. Yeah. Now, I would have loved somebody to ask him, and I don't know, I didn't see the whole thing, uh, but I would have loved to have somebody say to him, well, what was your reaction to that Well, that's the thing. We've heard about the comment, but there was a whole room full of people that didn't, I mean, I'm just assuming didn't say anything because it was, or did people say anything in protest that, oh, that's really gross of you to say, And Uh, and maybe that doesn't come out. With the leak. Well, because the the allegation is that the people who were leaking the story originally, the original Kelly Sadler comment, those people had it out for her anyway. It wasn't an attempt to go after the Trump White House in general. It was specifically they were trying to bring down Kelly Sadler. Uh, and if that's if that's the case, how do you like to work with those people? That sucks. That well, sucks. and we've heard stories like that in this administration from the beginning about how it's just really cutthroat in there. And I don't think that that's unique to the Trump administration. I think that, you know, there is a degree of backstabbing in Washington to get ahead of other people. Um, but it, it also is interesting because if you watch The Apprentice, you know that the Trumps kind of like that environment. You know, they kind of like the whole uh, fight it out and the strongest survive kind of thing. Because then you're surrounded by strong people. That's, right. that's the whole mentality of it. Um, the follow-up that we haven't seen much of over the weekend in terms of what's going on with the United States and North Korea, uh, Mike Pompeo has uh, described that U.S. and North Korea are in complete agreement when it comes to goals for the upcoming meeting on June 12th in Singapore. Uh, he said that his talks with Kim Jong-un were warm, that they were substantive, that they're in complete agreement about what the ultimate objectives are. Uh, any agreement with Pyongyang must have a robust verification program to ensure that North Korea is serious about dismantling its nuclear weapons program. Among those uh, those goals, North Korea announced that they're going to hold a giant ceremonial dismantling of their nuclear test sites. That's this is an- quite the 180. So I don't know if I b- believe all this. Well, and that's why I mean that's why you got to have the robust verification program, but this is also an opportunity if if it is what I think it is, this is a magnificent opportunity for business people to go in and start I wouldn't even say rebuild North Korea. I would say build North Korea. You know, the population that they've got, the people that they have, there's clearly uh, opportunities. Okay, so this was a country who put all its money into its nuclear program and making Kim Jong-un fatter in more ways than one and in ignoring the people and starving them. And then we agree to sit down and have a conversation with them. And then all of a sudden they're going to dismantle everything that they've been working hard to build to be a a legitimate threat. And they're going to start taking care of their people. This just seems to me uh, to be completely uh, a farce. I just don't believe that that would. Maybe it will. That would be great. That would be great if it did. I don't. I don't. I just don't know what. But the you're not holding is. your breath. No. It well, just, I mean, it doesn't. It's not a guarantee. Also, we've no. seen the president say, "If I don't like him, uh, you know, if I don't like the deal that we're going to strike, then I'll just walk away from the table." 
which I guess is a possibility. I, I don't think it'd be very likely that he's, you know, we make a big play of this on the international stage. He gets all the way to Singapore. And he's like, you know what? You smell funny. And then just turns around and leaves. We have a huge one o'clock hour coming up. Rebecca Jarvis will join us in studio for Market Mondays. We're talking about Tesla's chief engineer taking time off. What does it all mean, amongst other things? And coming up next, what does a college have to tell you as a parent when they know information about your kid? Because we've got a story that a college may have known a kid was suicidal, and now the family's very upset because they never got the tip off. It's all coming up next right here, KFI AM 640, Gary and Shannon. Shannon, President Trump expected to visit First Lady Melania at the hospital where she uh, underwent a procedure to treat a benign kidney condition. She'll uh, likely stay in the hospital all week, they say, just uh, as a precaution, make sure that she recovers. Um, That's one of the headlines that's coming out of D.C. There was another one that came out of California. The Golden State Killer suspect was in court again today, but he wasn't in a wheelchair this time. He actually walked into court. They were arguing about... Uh, some motions about warrants and sealing the warrants and whether or not the media was going to be allowed. All of that had been tabled, I guess, until May 29th when he's due back in court. Um, And then the other headline, of course, the U.S. Embassy opened in Jerusalem today. The Palestinians were protesting along the Gaza Strip, the border there. Uh, At least, according to the Palestinians, 55 people killed and thousands injured. Thousands when as many as 50,000 Palestinians took to the uh, border wall to protest. So many people may not know this about colleges, but they are in a way handcuffed by what's called the Family Educational Rights and Privacy Act, or FERPA. It's a federal law governing student privacy. And a lot of times college officials can't reach out to families because of this act. The law views students as adults and bars parents from even the most basic student records, like a transcript, without their kids' consent. And that brings us to the exceptions. Uh, Colleges can release student records to parents if the student signs a consent form or if the college knows that a parent claims the child is a dependent on tax forms. That's the weirdest one to me. (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? Or in a health or safety emergency. But even so, in that case, federal law allows us colleges to use their discretion. They're allowed but not required to release records or let a family know if a student is suicidal. Yeah, and that brings us to the story of Graham Burton. Graham Burton was a kid at Hamilton College in upstate New York, and he hanged himself in his dorm room. And you can imagine the incredible pain, the trauma that his mom went through settling his affairs and dealing with the aftermath of your young son's suicide. As you might expect, there were some sympathetic notes from fellow students in the dorm, but there were also notes from from officials there at the school. Including a note promising... The dean of students, a copy of his uh, obituary. They they wanted uh, they wanted the mom to know how special uh, he was to him. It's very odd, isn't it? 
Just a bizarre story. This is why she said the suicide made no sense, the suicide of her son. So she accepts condolences from the college president. Yeah, and that's assured, odd. And assured him Hamilton was the right choice for your son. Hamilton now, College think about was that. the right choice. Your kid hangs himself, and then the, the college president makes it a point to say that this college making this decision was the right choice for your kid. That alone is bizarre and distasteful. Well, mom cracks open Graham's journal, and a couple of weeks after his death, she reads his own struggles in his own language that he wrote down. He was a sophomore there, and he talks about how he was flunking three of his four classes, called himself in this journal a failure with no life prospects. He wasn't sleeping well. He had been missing classes. He was turning assignments in late. The college knew about his difficulty. This is what he wrote. The college knows I'm having trouble, but they are not helping and they are not understanding. Mom reads this and is fuming. In fact, she sends an angry email at 2.53 in the morning to the dean saying, would you care to shed some light on this? The uh, this, this is a terrifying thing. Suicide right now is the second leading cause of death for college-age adults in the United States. Accidents are number one. But suicide is the second leading cause of death. And the number of college students who go and, and find treatment for anxiety and depression has risen sharply over the last few years. It's not necessarily to say that more college students are feeling it. I think that there's at least a stigma that's being ripped away from it so that they can get treatment for anxiety and depression without having the stigma attached to it. Um, If the the school knows that Graham is having a struggle and is feeling hopeless, I think it should be a rule that you call the family. And I think the federal law should be amended to to make that happen, especially because of the statistics you point out. Well, there was just a case last week, uh, MIT. There was a case uh, where the Massachusetts State Supreme Court ruled that MIT could not be held responsible for a suicide in 2009. That was a graduate student at the time. But the court said that a university could potentially be held liable under certain circumstances. For example, when a student expressly tells one of the staff members at the school that they plan to commit suicide. And when you think of, I mean, you just think of the crazy level that it would take a student to go to a, a staff member and say that they were right. planning on committing suicide and then that there would be any doubt about whether or not the school had a responsibility to inform the family. In fact, when somebody is told that, it's almost like it's almost like winning the lottery. Like, oh, my gosh, this is a student that said she or he needs help. Wow, this is great. This is one of those cases where we can actually intervene. Yeah. And fix it and, and, and get her into some treatment or get him into some treatment. Because there's so many kids that don't reach out and they don't say, I, I need help. Well, this story is uh, unfortunately not unusual for a lot of people. And there's more to this story specifically as well. Because we have some information about how Graham talked to people at the school. And how there were even staff members at the school who expressed concern over Graham, over his future, and what it was that the college could do about it. So we'll talk about that when we come back. Also, the story of Olivia Kong, who was a junior at the University of Pennsylvania. Wait till you hear what she told people at the college. And still, no no heads up for the parents. Also, also 
Rebecca Jarvis scheduled to come in at the bottom of this hour and talk our usual money spot. On well, and speaking of money, mm-hmm. we've got $1,000 still. You're sitting on it over you know, there. That's a great idea. We should give that away. Yeah, because it's just, you know. Getting just, sweaty? Yeah, a little bit. I'll tell you how you can win that $1,000 when we come Nobody back. Nobody likes sweaty bills. Gary and Shannon will continue. <laughs> Is that a know. handle joke? I guess. Tell her, tell her, baby, 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 why? Uh, I'll have to. I'll tell you after the news at the bottom of the hour. But it's... Fred on Twitter says, "Gary, you are definitely underdressed for Rebecca Jarvis." How do I know? Does he know what I'm wearing? I don't know. We're the looking same at the thing puppy to as you wear to here as you wear to everywhere. I know it's not. I, her my uniform is kind of kind of similar the whole time. Well, maybe. you would have put on maybe a tuxedo. <laughs> I don't have a. You don't have a tuxedo. Okay. We um. We're talking about the story. How about this? Do we got to give away $1,000? You're shot at $1,000 now. Text the keyword money to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's money to 200-200. Winners notified by phone. If you don't answer, they'll pass that $1,000 on to somebody who will. Uh, You got to answer, of course, if you didn't win this hour. There's another chance next hour during the John and Ken show and then every hour through the first hour of the Conway show. We're talking about Graham Burton. He was a sophomore at Hamilton College and hung himself. And it looks like there were signs that the college knew about. Uh, Graham, by the way, nickname was Savage. He was funny, uh, nonconformist from Canada, uh, would wear a red maple leaf cap. In his last weeks, one friend recalls he brought down the house at a student cafe with a hilariously dreadful rendition of an indie rock song. It looks like there were definitely signs, and his professors thought so as well. Three of his four professors, his advisor and the academic dean, had exchanged emails about Graham's frequent absences from classes. The three professors submitted four academic warnings. One of his uh, one of his advisors, a guy named Maurice Iserman, wrote the academic dean a very clear and strong warning about Graham Burton, and said, "Obviously, what's happening here is a complete crash and burn. I don't know what the procedures or rules are for contacting parents, but if this was my kid, I'd want to know." And again, if it got to that level then why aren't the parents alerted? It's one thing if a kid is missing classes uh, or failing in his grades, but when professors see a student and, and identify it as a complete crash and burn, there should be something in, in that law that we were talking about that uh, it calls for a call to the family. And this is different. I, I see when we think of, well, when I think of a college and the responsibility for individual students and their well-being, I imagine a college of a particular size. I mean, Chico State had, what, 15,000 students when we were there. 
Berkeley has 40,000 students. UCLA has 50,000 students. I mean, whatever the, whatever the numbers are, you're talking about small cities. And granted, there are thousands of staff members and professors who interact with these students on a daily basis. It's different here. Hamilton College, Hamilton College is smaller than my daughter's high school. There's 1,800 students at Hamilton College. So you have a very granular relationship. I mean, down one-to-one relationship with some of the students in a place like that. And that, that a place like that wouldn't have a clear constituted policy about when to contact parents about the well-being, of, even if it's an adult child. That's the thing. I know that at 18, you're considered an adult, but you are still not an adult. And, you know, your parents should get a heads up if you're in that 18 to 21, 22 window when you're at college and the college knows there's something wrong with you. I mean, that's when we first start seeing scenes of or um glimpses of, of mental illness, of depression, of things like that. It's those early 20s. And if a parent is not at the school with their kid, how are they going to know that the kid's behavior has changed that much? Um, Olivia Kong was a junior at the University of Pennsylvania. She was not sleeping well either, like Graham. She worried about not being able to drop a class. She thought she would fail. She calls the University Counseling Center April, and she tells the on-call psychiatrist that she was thinking of killing herself. By the way, we know all this because... Her parents have already sued Penn. Fourteen uh, kids have committed suicide since 2013 from University of Pennsylvania. So the day after she calls the on-call psychiatrist, talks about having suicidal thoughts, she filed an electronic petition for late withdrawal from her class saying, I have had thoughts of suicide. Again, she was worried about this class she was going to fail and wanted to try to drop it. That weekend, she goes home to her parents. They live in nearby Philadelphia. She speaks to the same on-call psychiatrist. In his report, the psychiatrist wrote about the call, I offered that the cost of ER visit is likely less than the cost of funeral arrangements. Now, can I? Yeah, let's pull the car over. (laughs) I'm not sure if he's saying that. Ha ha. Yeah, because I don't know if that's a joke that anybody who's saying they have suicidal thoughts would get. You shouldn't be making... That's the thing. It's irrelevant how much the cost is. And it's that's. But he said that when she called that time, she actually said she planned to return to campus on Sunday and kill herself. She did not go to campus. Her parents went to check on her at midnight on Sunday, meeting her outside her dorm room. Her mother felt that her daughter's forehead uh, was feverish. Uh, They gave her some dumplings that they had cooked for her. And the next morning. She walks into the tunnel of a commuter station nearby and lays down on the tracks, commits suicide. Just to play devil's advocate, I have a question. Yes. Because I understand where you guys are coming from. But if they're informing parents, 18-year-old legal adult, right? because it's risky behavior or whatever, however you want to label it, at what point do they, is it? Not like, oh, we arrested this kid three days in a row for drunk and disorderly and was vomiting all over. Here's where I think the threshold should be. If if you if your kid goes to a psychiatrist or or a counselor and says, I want to commit suicide, I think the parents should get a heads up. And I know that violates all sorts of therapy laws and everything like that. But in that frame, in that window from 18 to 22, while the kids at school. If somebody at the campus is given a heads up, this kid is thinking about killing him or herself. 
I think the parents get a phone call. Well, and wouldn't if you were 18, 19 years old and uh, you weren't in school necessarily, but the the cops were called on you or your doctor called somebody, they would contact a family member. They would tell you, hey, uh, just so you know, we picked up Steve. Uh, he was walking along the tracks. He seemed out of it. He talked about suicide. We took him to the hospital. He's going to be taken care of for the next few days and get an evaluation. They wouldn't hide that from you. In fact, I would imagine that they would go out of their way to at least inform you about it. Now, they couldn't you, – you can't force them. You can't force this family member to get treatment because they're an adult. But just sharing the information about their well-being seems to be would be more important. I think this is probably all about liability and plausible deniability in some cases. Because yeah. if a school knows that a kid – you know, I'm not sure – not sure how that would work. It's one of those frustrating, it's terrifying thing is you send kids off to school or send them out on their own. Right. You know, you don't have the daily interaction with them. You don't know how it is they're dealing with the pressure of And as a parent, and- you would know when that behavior changed. You know, you know your kids. So, like, with uh, Graham there, you know, you would probably be alerted to his change in behavior. If what, you were close by. If you were close by. All right. Uh, we have a, that email I got to tell you about when we come back about why they had to turn the show off today. And also, Rebecca Jarvis is going to join us in studio. Oh, this is exciting. This is very exciting. Did you see her walk in? I can't believe you wore that shirt. God, stop it with the shirt. Can you? Am I I'm not pitting out? Am I? You're a little bit. No, I'm not. <laughs> a little bit. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640. <laughs> Gary and Shannon. Do we have any, like, excitement music? Well, we... Could you sing something? No. No? All right. That's That's a non-starter. I want to read this email really quickly, though. And uh, Rebecca Jarvis has joined us in studio. Um, which is the first time we got to meet you. I can't believe this. You guys are so different uh, than the picture. Really? What are you talking <laughs> about? Kidding. It's so funny. I feel like I already know you because we talk once I a week for way. like a couple of years. And I do want a new headshot and I want it signed. <laughs> uh, I don't know about a new one. Well, I mean, we'll sign one, but I don't know if it's like, it's probably the same old picture. Okay. Well, I, I like the idea that I got it directly from you and you've signed it. Okay, so that's good. We'll hand it to you. How's that? That's perfect. All right, Nancy writes in and says, listen, uh, I'm hoping your queen, uh, the the subject line is my husband made me turn off your show. Okay. We get that a lot. I'm I'm hoping your Queen Elizabeth segment is on your podcast. Uh, We were driving home for my husband's three-day post-op appointment on his double hernia operation. Oh, boy. And Shannon started interviewing the queen. We were chuckling until you got to the pantyhose portion where Shannon's question as to why Liz doesn't just chuck him. Here, by the way, is the response. Why even wear the pantyhose? Like, why not just say, screw it? Oh, my gosh. If I didn't wear pantyhose, it would look like an avalanche of oatmeal was coming out of the bottom of my dress. (laughs) Nancy says, I lost it laughing and thought my husband was too, but he was really laughing and then gasping and then practically crying from the pain, yelling, turn it off. We almost killed him. We almost popped his sutures. Great. Just like uh, just like poor Blakey in there. All right. Let's All right. get into some money stuff. What's going on? It's Market Monday on Gary and Shannon. Because everyone loves money. And alliteration sounds great on the radio. 
so weird. We don't have to push the little button and make it not come on hold anymore. Rebecca Jarvis in studio. It's kind of weird for me, too, you guys. <laughs> Being in the same room as the legends. <laughs> you let us know when they get here. <laughs> thanks and for we'll having me. For them. This oh, is my a dream gosh. Come thanks true. for coming by. Sincerely. Okay. And we're on Facebook true. Live, by the way, you guys. Oh, uh, yeah. yes. Look up Rebecca Jarvis on Facebook and you can see what, uh, well, what. I guess they see you all every week when you do it. But here in the studio, it's slightly different lighting. You never know. Yeah. (laughs) It's more authentic. It's more authentic. The artwork is different than it is in your office. It's really nice. Um, Okay. Facebook has been in trouble for misusing people's personal information. And now it's going after a bunch of apps. Right. So people who were following the Cambridge Analytica privacy scandal might recall that after the news broke, Facebook said that they were going to go through every single app, everything on their platform and go through everything with a fine tooth comb and say if something had an issue, they would alert users to it and they would kick them off the platform. Well, so far, they've suspended 200 apps in their investigation, which has now covered thousands of different apps. And they are not 100% certain what those apps did, but they believe that they had access to a fair amount of user information. And so they're suspending them for now, and they're reviewing them while they suspend them. And if they find that they did things like Cambridge Analytica, which was not only did they take the information, but then they unlawfully shared the information, which is what went against their their protocol, then they'll kick them off the platform for good. It's just a matter of, of Facebook trying to save face. Well, I mean, this is a matter of Facebook doing a lot of cleanup that most people would say, well, why? Why? How did you get here? How did you allow 200 plus apps? And this is this is still early, right? They've only been doing this investigation for a couple of months. How did 200 apps get access to millions of users information, much like Cambridge Analytica? And I think for for people out there who are thinking about how they use Facebook and using apps or anything else, it's just becoming more real that all of those quizzes you took, yeah, if you did, mm. that you thought were nothing, totally innocuous, they were actually getting information on you, and there's a high probability that that information made its way out somewhere into the universe so that it could be used to target you with advertising. And I think it has, because the targeted ads that you see are, are nailing are, it, are by the way. <laughs> they really are. The, the one that bothers me, and I'll never stop complaining about this until it's over, but when you say I'm looking at a pair of shoes and I buy the shoes, they keep showing me they the pair of shoes you. for the ad, and it's like, I bought those <laughs> shoes. Yeah. You don't need to advertise them anymore to me. <laughs> That's such a good point, yeah. Well, there's, I mean, there's cookies all over the internet, as yeah. you know, so you can, it's not just Facebook. You can visit every site that there is, and they're going to follow you. Um, Mark Zuckerberg talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but that there will be in coming months some sort of like wipe it all function, the same way that you can wipe your internet history. Oh, really? Um, that Facebook is building out right now. It's interesting. My wife said just a few days ago that she completely expunged every ounce of Facebook that she's had. She's she's done with it. She's off of it. And then yesterday, my sister sent her a Happy Mother's Day Facebook message. And I said, hey, did you get the uh, message from my sister? And she said, no, I don't have Facebook. I said, you want to bet? And she went back on her computer. Her whole account is still there, despite the fact she went through every single step she saw to completely deactivate the account. So it takes 90 days. They say it can take up to 90 days. I'd like, I'm very curious to see 90 days from now if it's still there. 
I'll have to keep. I didn't know that's there was not a, a good clock sign. It. But it's not. It's horrible. That's, that's really not a good sign. And then she spent another ninety minutes on Facebook. <laughs> you. <laughs> I mean, it was her day. She could do what she wants. It's Mother's Day. I don't care. But what a great way to spend Mother's Day. <laughs> Facebook and the spot. you know what? Facebook was kind of cool yesterday. I liked seeing everybody's moms and kids. It yeah, was, it was one of those non-annoying days on Facebook. <laughs> it's rare when everyone focuses. SNL did that. I don't know if you guys saw that, but everyone yeah. brought their mom onto SNL, oh, which was cool. cute too. Yeah. It's nice when we take a break from everything else and yeah, celebrate n- moms. It was nice not to see anyone's opinions and just pictures of their moms. <laughs> their opinions were, mom's great. Yeah. Love my mom. Totally. Uh, my mom's better than your mom. <laughs> the president got into some issues uh, with the this pledge for helping ZTE, this Chinese uh, telecom company. What's going on with that? So the issue here is as follows. First of all, ZTE was caught breaking the rules last year. And this didn't necessarily even have to do with trade or the conversation that we're currently having around trade. They were caught breaking the rules, selling U.S. goods that they had imported, selling U.S. goods and shipping those to Iran and North Korea. So ZTE is this company that buys components from companies like Qualcomm and the parent company of Google, Alphabet, Between 25 and 30 percent of their components come from the United States. They were caught shipping those components to places that the U.S. doesn't do business with, North Korea and Iran. And because they were caught, they essentially the the fine, the uh, the outcome of being caught was that the Commerce Department said you don't get to deal with American companies anymore. Well, in the context of this entire conversation around trade, all of a sudden President Trump is putting it out there that maybe ZTE is going to get back those trading relationships with U.S. companies. Uh, In a tweet yesterday, I think it was overnight, he said, Wilbur Ross, the Commerce Secretary, will be the ultimate decider of that. But just as I was walking in the studio, President Trump had tweeted about this again, um, basically saying that... You saw this? Yeah, I have it here. Uh, ZTE, the large Chinese phone company, buys a big percentage of individual parts from U.S. companies. This is also reflective of the larger trade deal we're negotiating with China and my personal relationship with the president. Yeah, so this is the argument that they're going to make, that this will harm U.S. businesses if they if we stop, if we if we if we basically enforce what we've already said we would with ZTE then you're going to harm businesses like Qualcomm or Google because they're not going to get the business. There's also in in the talks around trade some conversation that, well, if we if we smooth things over with ZTE, then maybe China is going to buy some more of our agricultural products. But what what the people on the sidelines are saying is that actually this ZTE thing doesn't actually have anything to do with the trade war. They broke a different set of rules. It was on the books. They broke those rules. They should have to pay the price. Well, and the, a, a fun little side political conspiracy theory is that ZTE and China are contributing $500 million to a Trump hotel project in Indonesia. So that's a fun little side conspiracy theory. <laughs> Thank you, Internet. Great, yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, Rebecca Jarvis has joined us in studio. We'll come back and talk a little bit more money stuff as well. Thank awesome. you, by the way. Oh, oh what's going you. on with Tesla? Yes. Is this a bad sign? Are you worried about your Tesla? I don't have a Tesla. Not yet. Oh, I like the way you think. Gary and Shannon will continue. Rebecca Jarvis has joined us.
Steve Shannon. On Mondays, we are uh, happy enough to talk with Rebecca Jarvis over the phone, but today is a nice, lucky Monday because she happens to be in Southern California and joins us in studio. What? What? So it's great to be in. here. Uh, sorry about that shirt that Blake uh, foisted We're, upon you. but I'm excited to put What are you sorry about on. our shirts for? They're awesome. I is, love it. I don't want to make assumptions about whether or not she wants to wear clothes with our She wants to be in the same on. room as you. I'm pretty sure the shirt's less bad <laughs> well, than that. <laughs> I think she was more forced in here like Captain Phillips. Right. But, you know, that's all right. Well, Tesla. My studio now. I'm what? thrilled to be here. <laughs> what? This is my studio. Real now. news. <laughs> um, okay. Tesla's engineering team. The uh, top guy in the engineering team taking a leave of absent at what absence at what could be a crucial moment for the company. This is an important time because the Model Three, and they are trying to catch up with the Model Three in production. There's a memo um, that's been published online by a handful of news outlets that Elon Musk sent to the company talking about scaling that they're going to stop focusing on non-vital roles. Um, which is something that a lot of companies have to do yeah. as they're trying to meet those production standards. He's trying to streamline. They're doing a reorganization. And he said he's going to be hiring in hourly and salaried critical positions to support the Model 3. But it all comes amid this guy who is the top dog on Tesla's engineering team saying, I'm going to be taking a little, just taking some time off to recharge and spend time with his family is really? how Elon Musk got to say it. recharge and works for Tesla. <laughs> the, the thing is that the Model 3 has been plagued with problems. I know, I know yeah. a couple of people who are actually on the list to get their Model 3s, and they keep getting emails pushed to them every four weeks, six weeks that say, I know we told you last March, but we're this close your car's coming in 2021. And whenever somebody says they're taking time off to spend with their family, it sounds nice, but it sounds fishy as hell. <laughs> Always. <laughs> Always suspect. I mean, look, they have been working around the clock. And like you said, Gary, they aren't living up to what they promised a lot of people. You would imagine that would be a very stressful position for this guy to be in. Um, Elon Musk it has made comments about how it's a little more difficult than he expected. All of this to be. So, um, yeah, you can. I, I mean, not the best time maybe to take a break, but maybe the best time to take a break. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it's a gonna, break. The thing is, Elon Musk, everything that that guy touches has been wonderful. It eventually I mean, gets to be wonderful. And this is I think this is just one of those things. Once they get through this production b- backlog or whatever the problems are that are plaguing the production line for the Model 3, They'll be able to say we were able to do something that no one else was able to do, and that's put a you know completely battery operated car, mass produce it, and make it available to a lot of people at a price point at a that price point more that people, people can, afford. can afford. Yeah, it's a it's a good point. I mean, it reminds me a little bit of Apple. Um, you know, not on every product launch, but we expect so much from Apple, and there's always this anticipation around their products. And there's so much um, timing is everything. You have to get the product out. You have to make sure that you're getting it out to the number of people. And there have been over the years with Tesla, there have kind of been similar stories like this where, you know, not just with the Model 3, but with their other cars as well. I've heard stories from people getting that note from the dealership. Oh, wait, you know. Sorry, we're running a little behind schedule. Yeah, and you bring up a good point. It is kind of more jarring when it's a company like Apple or Tesla because you expect them to do everything the right way and on time and efficient and all of that because the products, well, they cost a lot of money. So you, ex- yeah, it's a higher expectation. 
higher expectation of standards. Well, what are you doing in Southern California? We didn't even ask you. They let you explain what it is people get to ex- see from you from here. Well, first things first, I said we have to make sure that we go see Gary and Shannon. Um, smart. That so is smart. That was number one <laughs> on sure my list. I'm sure everyone went, oh, okay. Yeah. My boss was like, yep, signing off on that right now. <laughs> Get on an airplane. Um, so we just came from the Burbank studio of Nicole Ritchie. She, her brand, House of Harlow, is now almost a decade old. So we had a great conversation for No Limits. And tomorrow, by the way, on my podcast, yes. No Limits, we have the women behind Bobo Bar. Oh. Did you have you ever worn Bobble Bar's jewelry? They yes. sell it at Nordstrom and a handful of other places. Yes. Um, so it's their whole story. But we're out here talking to uh, Nicole Ritchie about her story. I love her. I mean, she's so likable. And uh, we were talking off the air. I feel like she made like a complete 180 in her life where she was just kind of uh, doing the whole party scene. And then all of a sudden it felt like overnight she's a super healthy, super successful businesswoman. Yeah. And we talked. I asked her kind of what the turning point was from a lot of people might remember her from The Simple Life. Right. Seeing her on that reality show with yeah. Paris um, and her book, which it was a bestseller, but definitely was, you know, it's a little risque. Yeah. And she she talked a lot about becoming a mom. Um, she talked a lot. One thing I find really interesting is how she she looks at her life as initially, especially in her business in the early stages. She sort of listened to the advice of others, but in her gut wasn't always sure that it was the right thing. Oh, interesting. And she's learned over time to trust her own instincts better. And also we had this conversation about she'd much rather be wrong, but test her idea as opposed to be wrong because she did someone else's thing that didn't pan out, um, which resonates with me. Yes. I mean, I think a lot of the time, you know, you might have this idea and, and then whatever, somebody's plants a seed in your head and says you're wrong or makes you second guess yourself. And then you go with whatever they said, and it doesn't work out. And you never know if the thing you originally thought, you never got to test it. You never got to experiment. So I really enjoyed the conversation. And later today, um, we're going to be also doing another conversation. It's a No Limits crossover with the Girl Boss podcast. Oh, cool. And Sophia Amoroso. So that'll be fun, too. Well, and you never know. Maybe show up on TV tomorrow morning. Well, it's, <laughs> it's always a possibility, <laughs> We were talking about right? this. Yeah, Good Morning America knows where I am, so I'm in trouble. <laughs> well, we are so happy that you came in and we finally got to see you face to face. Likewise. And I, um, I'm really excited to um, have this picture that you guys signed for me <laughs> and also this T-shirt, which maybe, you know, I think David Muir would really appreciate it if I wore this on set with him. So oh. I'll save it for, oh, for a World News nice. Tonight with David Muir. I love him, too. He's great. He love sends him. his regards. He doesn't know who he we said. Are. Let Shannon know. I really appreciate her work. Aww. So you could have you could have totally Thanks, snowed her right now and said, David said he loved the time that he spent with you in Philadelphia. Yeah, that's taking it a little. That would have been a perfect line, and you would have been <laughs> crazy. Anyway, the the links to the No Limits podcast are up on our website. If you go to kfiam640.com, use the keyword Gary and Shannon. Also, the interview with the que- the Queen and the entire uh, podcast for the show will be up there. Follow Rebecca at Rebecca Jarvis everywhere. And yeah. watch for her on uh, on ABC, Good Morning America, World News Tonight, and all that sort of stuff. Thank you, guys. Yeah, just turn that on right there. John and Ken coming up next. See you tomorrow. Stay dry, everybody. Listen, ladies, it's been real and it's been fun. But has it been real fun? Mm-mm. Nope. Gary and Shannon.
Farmers and Distillers Dining Room and Patio are now open and accepting reservations. They're following all the government guidelines so you can choose to dine out safely or if you want to stay in, they've got you covered. You can order for curbside pickup or delivery online at FarmersAndDistillers.com. They're also still offering a robust one-stop shop founding farmers market and grocery for all your daily grocery needs. Offerings include fresh produce, a prepared foods market, whole bakery, butcher and deli, house-churned ice cream, house-roasted coffee, wine, beer and more. Visit FoundingFarmersMarket.com to order. Same-day delivery of available. 